I saw an undiscovered creature climbing on the mountainside. Welcome everyone to January 24th, 1988 in the Legacy Series. It is Topps Coliseum, it is Hamilton, Ontario, Canada, and it, it, is, it is indeed the debut of the Royal Rumble. This is an idea that was pitched constantly by Pat Patterson as a backward battle royal, where instead of filling the ring and then emptying the ring, you would start out with two uh, combatants. Every two minutes, someone else would come in, the ring would fill up, then it would empty out again. And for something called the Royal Rumble, this event would start out, in my opinion, with a status slightly lower than the bunkhouse stampede. It would be a free event. It would be one that would start out on house shows and fans would actually not take to it. It would not kind of be what we would come to know it at least instantly. It would be, of course, one in the time that we will do this series from everyone from Hacksaw Jim Duggan to Brock Lesnar. Ladies and gentlemen, we get to watch the origin. We get to watch the evolution of one of the big four pay-per-views in a way that I do believe is unlike any of the others. This event will eventually become the launching pad to WrestleMania, to the main event, to becoming often the flag bearer of the WWF. But right now it is simply a, an event that we are trying on free TV. And like three out of four, I believe, of the big four pay-per-views come 1992, it will at least once offer an event where the world title is up for grabs and all, a majority of the company has an opportunity to compete for it. In 1993, we will begin the pattern that we will come to know. Where the wrestler who wins goes to WrestleMania and gets the title shot. And oddly enough, that will be a back-to-back -back win by heels. Ric Flair in 1992. Yokozuna. In 1993. So from Ric Flair to Yokozuna, from Bret Hart to Shawn Michaels, from The Rock to Stone Cold Steve Austin. This is an event that will take shape and make history as we go. And like so much in the WWF, anything can happen. And when I say anything, in 1988, Jesse Ventura, in the show we're covering today will be angry at the man sitting next to him, that babyface commentator, Vince McMahon, because Vince McMahon will dare to challenge the legitimacy of a bench press contest that Jesse put on. Jesse will let this Vince McMahon know you are not a bodybuilder. You know nothing about bodies. You are not a wrestler. You know nothing about wrestling. Hey, who's the 20th man? Maybe it's you, McMahon. The joke will go on and on and on. But you know what? The joke is, in reality, anything can happen. And 11 years later, that Vince McMahon sitting next to Jesse Ventura, he will enter the Royal Rumble in one of the hottest eras 
in the history of wrestling, and he will win the Royal Rumble. That is the event that we are diving into today. Oh, man. This is an event that many workers, like Bret Hart today, will get to come in early and show what they are made of. It is a place where men like Diesel and Kane and Michaels and Kofi and just a variety of talents can shine for a variety of reasons. And above all, as I said, it's an event that takes time to fully evolve, which sometimes feels so unlike much of what we've covered in this era. So we have the privilege beginning today to go on this journey covering the Royal Rumble in the Legacy Series. So ladies and gentlemen, the hype is back. Grab your shovels because the unearthing continues. I am the mystic and I am joined by my friend and co-host, by God, my learned colleague, Mr. Ms. Fan, The Brain. Greetings, Ms. Fan fans. Thank you, as always, Lord Mystic PhD, for that wonderful introduction to our show. It is the very first televised Royal Rumble. It is a show that is here to counter-program Bunkhouse Stampede. It is a show that is going to grow into one of the most beloved events, but as we have discovered, many things are different at the start than they are later on when these concepts become rooted, when they become set, when they become ingrained with the wrestling fans. So we're here very fresh at the start of what almost all fans would uh, experience with the Royal Rumble. We are going to talk about that weightlifting. We're going to talk about Ricky Steamboat taking on Rick Rude years before their uh, dirty history would begin in WCW. We're going to watch tag team wrestling from the women, tag team wrestling from the men. We're going to see Hulk Hogan and Andre signing a contract. We're going to see a lot of stuff on this show. I'm very excited about it. It's going to be a happening. <laughs> this might be an impossible Question to answer, Ms. Van, I don't know, but do you have a clear favorite of the big four pay-per-views in WWF? Oh, it's it's definitely the Royal Rumble for me. Okay. Um, easy answer. Uh, I enjoy almost every Royal Rumble tremendously, uh, aside from a spate of them in the 2020, excuse me, the 2010s. Um, but generally, yeah, I'm a big Rumble lover. So what what is it about the Royal Rumble for those who don't know as much about wrestling or those who do but don't know your opinion, that allows it to stand above WrestleMania, SummerSlam, Survivor Series for you as a fan. Well, first of all, if there's anyone listening to this show who doesn't know a lot about wrestling, welcome. You've come to a very weird starting place, but we're very glad to have you and we hope you enjoy. Uh, as for the Royal Rumble, it's funny because even the Rumbles I've seen before, there's always a sense of what's going to happen next, who's going to come out next, what is that going to mean for the match, how is it going to change the match. Matches like the Royal Rumble are always changing, and they are always a nexus point of characters interacting in unexpected ways, in storylines that are going to uh, intertwine with each other. That's my favorite thing. I've talked many times on this show about how wrestling that I love the most usually means it's a lot of characters who are 
just running across each other in very layered ways, in ways that uh, are not just confined to single straight pathways. I find that wrestling just not as interesting. So you take something like the Royal Rumble, and you end up having guys who would probably never cross paths in the normal flow of the storylines, and yet here they have a chance to interact. And I, I don't know, I love it. I love the colors of it, I love the drama of it, I love the elimination as things are whittled down, as it takes shape slowly before your eyes. I'm just a huge fan of the Royal Rumble. I really uh, never get tired of a good Royal Rumble. I can understand that, I can appreciate that, because in the 80s, where we are right now, I see a similarity between the Royal Rumble and the Survivor Series, for the reasons that you give. You know, I am looking forward to, whether they're good matches, whether they're not, I think about when LOD and the Natural Disasters and the Bossman and Akeem were all just in these Survivor Series matches and they're against people who you don't expect them to be. They're teaming up with people who you don't expect. And that really captures my attention. But I also wonder in the 90s how quickly the Survivor Series might not have that feeling for me as much anymore, whereas the Royal Rumble for me is only going to get better and better and better and I will say this. I am someone who stopped watching the WWE about the time that you started watching it. Mm-hmm. My last true continual fandom was Benoit and Eddie Guerrero. And then I stayed around to watch a couple of Michaels matches on pay-per-view. Then I stayed around for a couple of John Cena matches on pay-per-view. Then I stayed around just to see, does John Cena get booed or cheered? Then I <laughs> stayed around for maybe, oh, I need to watch WrestleMania or the Royal Rumble because it's WrestleMania or the Royal Rumble. Then I stayed around, well, I still need to watch the Royal Rumble, and then I stayed around for nothing. So I think the Royal Rumble was the sole survivor, the last thing that kept my attention before I eventually completely fell off of that journey. I think you're not the only one. I know fans who uh, don't watch much wrestling anymore, but they're like, well, I'll watch the Royal Rumble, you know, I'll give them a chance, and I'll see if they can kind of, I'll see what they can do. Um, It's a really... It's just a great show, so let's all say God bless Pat Patterson for this idea and uh, the fact I, the fact that it didn't get over at the house show I, that is always surprising to me and I always wonder why it's not explained well or I think I read the first one was only like twelve minutes so maybe the execution is just completely different than what we're seeing um, not to jump ahead but this one it's not the greatest Royal Rumble that I ever saw but you can tell right away that the concept works, like it gets over with the fans very quickly, and um, I think we're going to have a lot to say about that. Yeah, absolutely. From a quality standpoint, it came out far ahead of what I expected it to be. Mm. It's a weird thing because we know all these patterns and tropes that are going to be in the Royal Rumble, and you're now watching one in 88 that is pre-pattern or trope. So it's interesting to see how the formulas that become the Royal Rumble matchup start to build over time, and what do they do in the meantime? This is an event that I think almost every time a babyface even puts a heel on the top rope to try to throw them over, there's fans standing and cheering. Because while we don't yet have those tropes that kind of carry the rumble later, we also have the benefit that fans actually think every time you're about to throw someone out, they might be going over the top rope. (laughs) I love that fan investment, for sure. Um... I don't know how you get it back. Fans to pop for uh, every little thing like this. Maybe you can't. Probably you can't, to be honest. It's just too bad. But yeah, I always appreciate that about any earlier era. I do appreciate 
I did not know this was in Canada, so hmm. I reached out to Vince McMahon uh, with the space element. He was not connected spiritually, so he did not respond. But when I found out it was in Canada, I wanted to ask him one more time before we watch. Really? Hacksaw Jim Duggan? Or do you want to go with someone else? <laughs> By God, he didn't respond, Vince McMahon. Oh, that's a great point. Um, I know Ryan Evans has been waiting for us to spend this whole show speaking out against Jim Duggan, so I guess we'll see if it happens. Uh, certainly would not have been my choice. Uh, probably would have been uh, 20th place out of 20 uh, for people <laughs> to win this Rumble, but here we are. It's so funny you say that. When we get to the final four, I will tell you, I, I had a real-time moment that was similar to that. Um, but we'll get into it. This is a fun event. This is the kind of privilege that you have when you know you're investing in a three, probably to four year journey. You know, we really get to, we've been talking so much about wrestlers evolving and becoming, but this is a pay-per-view that gets to do so. And again, it just blows my mind that in the time that we'll be here, just that I'll say it one more time, just because it sounds weird in a sentence from Hacksaw Jim Duggan to Brock Lesnar. <laughs> That's what we're covering in the legacy series. That's uh, it's quite a dichotomy right there. All right, so let's jump in to the show. It is, again, Vince McMahon and Jesse Ventura on commentary. Uh, and we go right to the ring because this is not Saturday night's main event. It is a different flow, a different way of doing things. And we're going up to the matchup that Miss Van told you about up front. Ravishing Rick Rude and Ricky Steamboat kick off the first ever televised Royal Rumble. Indeed, and we immediately get Jesse Ventura talking about Rick Rude winning the first Jesse the Body Award. So you get a little uh, kindred spirit between those two, and I can definitely see that. Um, they don't mention it a lot, but they had the whole uh, the first Slammies, uh, which for some reason were called like the 37 Slammies or something. I, I have no idea why, but uh, that, that whole saga was uh, interesting and a little bit fun. <laughs> Jesse Ventura will insult Vincent Mann. Uh, and I don't know what's more insulting, the, the insult or what followed it indirectly, knowing Vincent Mann, but uh, he is telling Vincent Mann, you know nothing about bodies. And then he tells him, but this is wrestling, but wrestling is the bottom line, wrestling and being a wrestler. So telling Vincent Mann he doesn't know about bodies or saying the word wrestling three times in a sentence. But Jesse Ventura just piling on poor Vince McMahon here early in the show. Yeah, Jesse Ventura definitely out to uh, bait Vince McMahon to push him. Um, now, I might have said it before, but it's always interesting when you see guys working with the boss on screen and they feel like they can push their roles a little bit. Uh, I think it was Nick Bockwinkle in an interview who always said he liked wrestling. Uh, Vern or Greg Gagne, because he would get in there and kind of, you know, make a point a little bit, and he would push him and stretch him a bit as far as he could. So it's an interesting dichotomy if you can do that with your boss. More power to you if you can pull it off. And it's a better quality show, and props to everyone visiting, man, for allowing it. You easily could have someone who simply plays a role and, you know, doesn't really do that, and that would almost make more sense. But Jesse Ventura, I think, thrives on uh, taking a risk often beyond the space of reward. And sometimes it pays off and sometimes it doesn't. And I do think that is one of the things that makes Vince and Jesse so good is that Jesse Ventura will uh, push that boundary so hard. 
Yep, they will. Um, you know, it's it's a different time now for sure, but certainly someone pulling this today would be replaced by a Michael Cole <laughs> clone um, by the time the next commercial is over. So I can see Jesse being dragged out of an arena. <laughs> I mean, I don't think that their relationship is good at all now. Ventura and McMahon. Um, I he'll leave in what 1990, and he'll come back once in a while, but like very rarely. And yeah, I don't think there's um, much uh, appreciation there. How could there be? Ventura reportedly tried to put a union together, so of course that's yeah. going to put you at the bottom of the shit list. It's also funny for a promotion that wants to be anything but wrestling and wants to launch his talent, you know, into the broader world. Mm. That almost everyone in this early era that would make it outside of the WWF would begin having bad blood with Vince McMahon. <laughs> That's true. That's true. Um, we've seen uh, we've seen a lot of um, people looking outside of the WWF already. I guess maybe it's inevitable when it's blowing up this much. Everyone wants to hook their star to something else. Piper out uh, doing movies. Um, Andre, uh, our prof, our, our beloved reader, uh, listener, I guess, our prof, pointed out something we've neglected to mention, which is the greatest movie star in all of wrestling history, Andre the Giant, starring in The Princess Bride, which is the best movie to have a wrestler in a starring role. Um, so, yeah, Ventura off doing Predator and other stuff. Yeah, a lot of people going to movies, going to commercials, looking for opportunities that are bigger and better. Yeah, a uh- some of it's maybe chicken and egg because I think Piper and Jesse are going to have issues with people. Like no matter what happens, that but Hogan also and Hogan will start having, you know, whether it's Hogan star fading, it's a combination of that. But also he's going to Hollywood more. You've got to have somebody in this place. So there is that weird idea of our goal is to get these people out here, but once they do, they kind of have a little bit of space outside of Vince McMahon's power, and I don't know if that ever really fully worked for Vince McMahon. So yeah. You know, is something interesting to watch. And I have not had a chance to feed the forums. It's been a busy week, but I do want to shout out what you just said, what Prof uh, said, because I don't think one person could do what is being done in this amazing era. So Andre the Giant, in many ways, I don't think Andre could be Hulk Hogan, but Andre is the forerunner. Andre is the one who kicked down the door. Andre is the one who is enabling Hulk Hogan. And I think, I don't think that duo is mentioned enough in history. You get the WrestleMania three match, but everything from the storyline of the mentor and the undefeated to WrestleMania three to this year, to what Andre means to what Andre embodies. And yes, we will have more suit and suspender talk before this show is over. (laughs) Everything that Andre embodies that Hulk Hogan, Andre duo it's on par with anything. We talk, we'll talk about, you know, Brett Sean, The Rock, Austin, but Andre Hulk Hogan is magic in ways that it does not get credit for. Mm. Absolutely so. Um, narrative is one thing that's very important to us. So we've talked about it before, I'm sure, but, uh, the narrative of Andre is really, uh, not what it deserves to be among a lot of fans. It's like, yeah, WrestleMania 3, uh, Hogan slammed him. The match was bad. Andre couldn't move. And that's the only thing he did in his whole career, basically. Um, you know, it's very sad 
that that's kind of the narrative with some people. I like to think a lot of fans are more aware than that, but I know that some are not, and uh, it's too bad. But Andre, I mean, he deserves every positive thing that you could say about him, I think. I will say this, and I, I hate to – God knows the, the, the mystic isn't one to, to hype something unreasonably, uh, Miss Fan, but I got to say – we talk about the things that are are at least as good as WrestleMania three, that groundbreaking pay per view that changed everything. Mm. And I don't know which one is better, WrestleMania three or Andre in his suit and suspenders, leaning back on the rope, hands in his front pocket, <laughs> looking like the model way before Rick Martel came on the scene in that way. Oh man, he that, he was incredibly cool in that moment. Absolutely. <laughs> Please, God, if you don't watch anything else on this show, go to the contract signing and watch Andre with his hands in his pocket, leaning against the rope, nonchalant. That man is a boss in every uh, way you can say the word. It is beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. And until time does its thing, we are going to give Andre the giant the praise that he deserves on this show. (laughs) I don't know what it is. There are so many big men in wrestling who I think suffer from a lack of confidence when you get down to it. Like Vader, famously, like uh, really lack confidence in himself at times. Um, I think Big Show maybe has had that problem at times. Um, yeah. I think it comes naturally when you're so large. You almost have to be overly gentle, like in your real life. Uh, so even if you hit hard in the ring, like if your personality is frightening it's going to legitimately frighten people away. So it's it's a tough thing psychology, psych, psychologically to be a giant in real life, I think. But I don't know. I never got any sense with Andre. Like, he was as large in every part of his life as he was in his body. And he just seems so freaking cool all the time, like not bothered by anything. And I don't know. Yeah, he's an interesting guy, is Andre. I like that take a lot. That's something to think about. In a sport, too, that's so competitive and cutthroat, whether it be Andre or The Undertaker, how do you become the accepted locker room boss? And what does that take? And to maintain something like that, I don't even know what the qualities are, but I think there's something that if you're on that level, then you even exist and carry yourself and are perceived by others maybe in a way that's different than almost anybody else on a roster in history. Yeah, yeah, that's a very good, very good point. So, are we just talking about this because this Ricky Steamboat versus Rick Rude match is surprisingly, surprisingly boring as hell? Oh my god, I thought this was going to be... <laughs> I was trying to think of the nice way. I wanted you to be able to praise it first and then I can say, well, I'm not going <laughs> to say much about it, but... Hey, you know who it is. Oh, you know dude. who it is. Yeah. <laughs> Rick Rude is good at so many things. He is great at a lot of things that are important in wrestling, but being exciting in the ring is probably the thing he is worst at. So he is really uh, good. It's not because he's not Kenny Omega. It's not because he's not doing dives and topes and running at a million miles an hour before anyone rushes out to accuse me as I have been accused before. It's because he doesn't want to do anything in the match. Uh, man, I swear, I couldn't believe, because I swear he spends half this match just doing the move he always does, which is just, like, sit on a guy while he's lying on the ground and do your little chin lock and wait a thousand years until he, like, stands up and throws you off. 
And then he did it again in the same match. Like, they went through the whole sequence. And then he just went back and did it again. And I'm like, dude, Rick Rude, you need to, like, I don't know. When Rick Rude is in charge of a match, and there are some exceptions. I won't say that there won't. But a lot of times when Rick Rude is in charge of a match, it's time for me to grab my pillow and go to sleep. Number one, I am a, I'm sorry that you had to endure whatever absurd. <laughs> Absurd. Thank you. It doesn't all come back to that, folks. There are other conversations to be had. Indeed. I will say this. If you take their whole body of work as wrestlers, I would take Sid over Rick Rude any day. Ooh, whoa, whoa, whoa. Oh, man. I don't know if I can go that far, but eh, I don't know. We'll, let, let's see what we say when this uh, Legacy Series is over. Sid, we'll see. We'll see. So far, uh, we'll count how many, like, top matches. I'll say this. Sid Sid could squash a guy much better than Rick Rude. Rick Rude was not bad in squashes either. Just, he didn't have to be out there very long. Yeah, he could do his shtick where I love my favorite Rick Rude shtick is where he lets the guy, like, punch him in his abs, and his abs are so, like, made of steel that he doesn't even care. That's a good spot. So I think the reason I say Sid is because the thing I see about Sid and Rick Rude is they both play to the crowd. And but Rick Rude's way of being a heel, I think, is to antagonize the fans with a slow, boring match. <laughs> like I think that's his move, and I hate it. And not only does he do this sit down on the back uh, for a a long time, but then if it can't get any more offensive, he sits on the back for God knows how long. Then he slowly stands up to gyrate. And then he sits right back down and starts the move <laughs> over again. Uh, yeah. What I yeah, I will say this really quick. I wrote down in my notes. If Yokozuna wrestled like he's two hundred and fifty pounds, Rude wrestled like he's five hundred and five pounds. <laughs> he kinda does, yeah. He's he's slower than Andre out there a lot of the time. So I don't know. We we will continue to examine Rick Rude. Um, I know he's going to have matches with Ultimate Warrior that are better than anyone besides Randy Savage could get out of the guy. So that's something um, we've already seen in WCW. He actually has good matches with Ricky Steamboat, or at least much better than this. Um, so I don't know. Like, there's some, there must be some good things about Rick Rude and the Rock. Like the Paul Orndorff match we watched was very exciting. And part of that is because Rick Rude didn't really get to control any of that. But still, like, it's not like he's incapable it's just when you kind of let him do his own thing, his own thing is to do nothing. And as a heel, most of the time, your thing is that you control the matches. Yeah, yeah, that's true. So it is definitely a uh, black mark against Rick Rude. I don't know. I, I feel like I would take Rick Rude gyrating, though, over Sid, like his deer in the headlights. Look around the audience. Look around at the audience. Look, you know, the just, oh, man. I don't know. I can't with Sid. We'll talk about him later. <laughs> yeah, he's still a comment away. Um, the thing that made me realize, well, I already knew how much I disliked Rude. I was trying to come in open-minded because, you know, maybe just a different time, different era. We've talked about that a lot. But then it was that same thing again, and it went from starting out to, oh, this is kind of like what I don't like, to, oh, this is what I don't like, to, oh, this is what I don't like. I'm not <laughs> watching anymore. Uh, so it was an evolution in real time. Yeah. And then also when Steamboat would get an advantage, I would be like, oh, my God, I forgot how good Ricky Steamboat is. Because I kind of thought he sucked for a minute, too. But no, <laughs> there's Ricky Steamboat. 
Yeah, Ricky Steamboat gets to do very little in this match, and the little that he does do definitely reminds you, oh, right, yeah. he's literally one of the best people in the company, but we don't care anymore because mm. because he loved his child too much. So let's yeah. sacrifice him on the altar of McMahonism. So. Yeah, if you can lose points for like being an actor or caring about things that Vince McMahon wants you to care about, you sure as hell are going to lose points for caring about a child. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I will also say, with Ricky Steamboat, when when an arm drag is so deep that it's doing the work of a suplex, Ricky yeah. Steamboat is doing it. Oh man, God bless Ricky Steamboat. This is this is just about the last of Ricky Steamboat that we're really gonna get to call because he's here till WrestleMania. He'll do something there a little bit. He's pretty much gone after that, I think. He just has a little crappy run that you know won't mean anything. So so this will be it for Ricky Steamboat just about. Yeah, and even though baby faces have to win by DQ or win or get the last laugh, you can really tell in this match who the shine is on and who the fade is on. Yeah, yeah, it was a very weak ending after a match that I swear they had an Iron Man match in WCW, and I swear this was longer than that. Yes. Uh, it felt like it. And after all that, it's like, yeah, Rude pulls the referee into Steamboat's way when he's jumping off the ropes. And then the referee kind of flops around for a while, and Rick Rude picks up Steamboat, and the bell rings. He acts like he got a submission, but it's really a DQ. And I don't know. I was just wishing Bobby Heenan was here. Bobby Heenan, we are told, is in Barbados for this show for some reason. Um, I have no idea why. It was a big talking point on primetime that he would be in Barbados. So he's not here with any of his men, and uh, I think the show suffers a little bit from it. I honestly had a moment where... If you don't believe that Bobby Heenan is kind of on that level with maybe the Hulk Hogan's and the Andres and the Randy Savages of this era, the the only thing really missing from the show is Bobby Heenan, and I think the show falls a full like category, like one step down for the lack of Bobby Heenan in what goes down on the show. It loses something noticeable. I would have to agree with that. Even the Ted DiBiase, like I love the angle we're in, and we're going to talk about how smart it is, how how great it is that they're doing what they're doing. But even the absence of Bobby Heenan in what will be an amazing continuation of one of the greatest storylines really in the history of this company, I kept thinking over and over again, it's not exactly the same without Bobby Heenan involved in it. Mm, absolutely so. We're going we're gonna to get to something, Rick Rude, that I really like soon. So I'm, I'm, I'm excited for that. We're going to get into the Rick Rude, Jake the Snake feud. And even though those two guys we haven't necessarily uh, appreciated that much in the ring, this is a hot feud. I'm excited for it. So I think, uh, I hope it's going to do a little bit to redeem both of these guys. And, of course, Heenan is right in the thick of that. So so we will get to that, and we'll see if that changes our perspective at all. If Rude ends up managing and Heenan wrestles, I think it'll work out this time. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, Rick Rude cursed with that good body because he almost would be more comfortable as a manager. You're not wrong. I think what's deep, deep, deep in my um in my darkness on this is that Rick Rude will be considered by probably anybody as being a really good wrestler. Sure. Whereas Lex Luger will always be a piece of shit that can't work and can't do anything, was overrated and only had a body. And yet... If you stack, take their best matches, five ten matches, and put them beside each other, and tell me that we don't live in a cruel and unjust world. 
that wow yeah that's a that's a tough point to swallow but i'm sure you're right that the narrative definitely would be rick rude greater than lex luger and it does not stack up at all in the ring um i don't know rick rude has like he has a certain aura about him that I won't say Lex Luger doesn't have it because I think he does, but I think uh, it is why people gravitate towards Rick Rude because it's it's easy to forget at a glance that Rick Rude's matches were not good because he's got this great look. He is charismatic. Um, he's got this great character. Like you could gravitate to him, and if you just don't actually watch his matches that closely, then probably you will not notice anything wrong. So. I don't know, Rick Rude, he does have a lot of advantages, a lot of things that are good about him. It's just the actual matches are very much not that. This is also the beginning of the Vince McMahon that I remember as a child, where if there is a good-looking male body, (laughs) he is going to use a tone and an objectifying way that is just uncomfortable. And I haven't been able to see that in this era so far, but man, tonight he was was on about that. And he's got a weird part in his hair, so I think... It's only weird to see how people become the people I started watching in 91 and the things I remember. But Vince mm-hmm. McMahon, an interesting character. And we got a lot. Of, this is a lot of uh, the era of the body. We got Rick Rude in the first match. We got a bench press, a long bench press segment where Dino Bravo tries to break a record uh, in the second segment. So it really is about uh, who are the biggest, the strongest in the World Wrestling Federation at this moment. Mm-hmm. Vince McMahon is another one of those guys. Like, we talked about it with Haku versus Meng a few times now. Um, I'll try not to get onto that on every show. But Vince McMahon is another guy where you look at this and you look at later Vince McMahon and you could almost be like, wait, is that yeah. the same guy? Like, it's such a radical transformation. <laughs> I really want to know so much. Like, maybe top five things in the world I want to know is, Vince McMahon, when you were a commentator, what were your goals? What were you trying to portray? Mm. Because... More and more, the more I watch it, I really think that he is trying to portray this is how dumb <laughs> you all should be and act like me and think like me. What you think shouldn't make any sense. You just be loud and it's almost like a guide for the baby face fan. Mm. And if it's something else, I don't know what it is because Jesse out argues him in everything that they argue about. Jesse has more integrity throughout the show than Vince McMahon does. So I don't know what he's going for, but... I know what he comes across as. <laughs> I think uh, I, it's a very insightful thing that you stumbled upon, and I actually think you're right. Mr. McMahon is trying to put himself in the mind uh, that he believes that the average fan will have, and um, I think it is very revelatory that he thinks fans are like this, and it maybe <laughs> explains some of the weird things that we're going to see over the years. Yeah. It's, I think it's, it's something to follow because... I think in some ways it shows us why WWF can be so good and why it can be so bad and how that all can come from the same uh, individual at the forefront of it. (laughs) It's always very single minded. Um, Yes. So if it's a good thing that you're like fixed on, then actually, yeah, it'll probably be great, especially if you have good people around you like Pat Patterson to like kind of put all the pieces together. If you're fixed on something bad, it's going to be real bad. So, yeah, yeah, that is so true. That might be the thing, because I'm always looking for how is it that I never want to leave this era, and I would never take a step into some of the other eras. And in some ways, it's the same thing, because we're going to get WrestleManias in the future, 
where it's like the day after WrestleMania, somebody's going to come out and they're going to set the stage for the next year's WrestleMania. Mm. You know, it's not entirely different than what we're doing with Hogan and Andre again and again and again. But Hogan and Andre is not necessarily some of those other people and some of those other occurrences. Mm. So it is almost the same single minded approaches and ideas but they play out differently at different times for different reasons. Yeah. I think just, it's important to remember that a few years before this, Vince McMahon didn't have a wrestling company. You know, he was like employed by his dad doing commentary and all this stuff. And he didn't even Mm -hmm. know his dad for a lot of his life. And just like that guy coming in, having all these experienced people around him, like giving him advice is so different. I think than the guy who basically, you know, for all intents and purposes, has never done anything but this, you know, yeah. eventually he'll have done this so long that I think nobody could give him advice or at least not advice that he's going to listen to. You know, it's almost like it's a totally different mindset. I also think it's fair to say that maybe he either should have transferred himself completely to the WBF or the XFL and let someone else have the wrestling or never done those at all. Yeah, I don't know. There will be weird times. Uh, I think there's a time where uh, Jerry Jarrett um, is doing a lot of the booking of WWF because Vince McMahon is getting ready to possibly go to jail. So we're going to have to take a close look at when that might be and what it looks like when basically somebody else is running the company. (laughs) I just wonder in a creative sport like this where decisions have to be made all the time, Mm. is there anyone who has ever existed who could run the company from 19, let's say, 85 to 2020 and just not lose it or, you know, oh, like how do you, yeah. how do you, I don't think you could. I don't think so. I mean, uh, there's a lot of great creative minds out there. People always talk about Paul Heyman, but you look at ECW, it's not all hits, you know, yeah. like there's a great energy there. But even that, he just kind of like left and talent were like booking themselves before the, the company actually ended. Um you know, Kevin Sullivan had a few great years, probably a few more in Florida, but he burned out completely. Yeah. Um, I don't even know who else is like in that conversation. Uh, my guy, Chris Kresge, who did storyboards and kept lists of like relationships with other wrestlers who ran uh, WWE creative for a little while. Um, he got booted out the door. So who knows what he could have done? I don't know. I'd have to think of it. But yeah, like Pat Patterson, great creative guy. He kind of stepped back. Um, in like 92, I think, uh, Jake Roberts wanted to book more. He booked a lot of his own stuff reportedly. Um, but he didn't get to go ahead and then he fell apart. I don't think you can find a talent that from like 1985 to 2020 is operating on the same level in any way. So yeah, I mean, it's very understandable. A lot is going to change in what, 35 years. That's a long freaking time. That's longer than I've been alive. Yeah. Taste change, culture changes. Even Vincent, and that's it's the control of Vince McMahon again, though, that he like gets to evolve the sport. When he says it's not wrestling anymore, it's not wrestling anymore. When he says it's scripted and you know it and we can say it, then you can know it and you can say it. But what also is happening is outside of your control, the world is changing as well. Yeah. And I do think he's better at like, by God, this is the year that we change something than, yeah, the whole world has outpaced you and they're doing laps on you. And <laughs> I just don't think anyone, I know I couldn't, 35 years of anything is it, to be admired and it's also to be feared. 
Yeah, yeah. I'm talking about single-minded, you know. <laughs> Not yeah. that he hasn't tried to go out and do other things. He's tried desperately, but, uh, <laughs> you know, it is what it is. I feel like that is, like, the curse. If this is, like, a Disney movie or something, that you can, be, you can have ungodly power and you can wield it all you want in the world of professional wrestling, but you'll never have the thing that you want, which is power outside of that ungodly pro wrestling. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's a very uh, ironic curse, something out of a Greek mythology. Okay, Ms. Van, I know that you've been waiting for this. I apologize for putting it off. Oh, God. <laughs> Jesse Ventura, Gene Okerlund. Dino Bravo and uh, Dino Bravo's manager, who I'm not sure who that is. Uh, Frenchie Martin, who, yeah, they really struggled to uh, think of a fifth manager in between Johnny V and Sensational Sherry. So now we have Frenchie Martin around yeah. briefly. They're on the stage with a um, with a weight bench and weights. <laughs> also, the first, um, I overall, I like this show decently well, but the first 40 minutes of this show are just yeah. tragically boring like i would be i would be ordering bunkhouse stampede if i hadn't already based on the first 40 minutes of this show it's like that that is before the tag match right yeah before the the like. women's tag match um which is going to if nothing else be leagues more exciting than uh what we've seen so far um Absolutely. yeah i don't know i don't have a problem with this segment it's funny i haven't actually watched this segment before i kind of like heard about it after the fact and it sounded fine. It's like, all right, Dino trying to do a big weight lift. Ventura helped him cheat. That's going to be the thing that Dino Bravo talks about, like, every second of every day from now on. Cool, that's his drill-down thing. I had no idea that this was just, like, agonizingly, <laughs> unforgivably drawn out over the longest segment that has ever occurred. Oh my God, this just, it never ended. And it's just Dino Bravo. Oh, he's going to, he's going to lift. 500 pounds. Now he's going to lift 505 pounds. Oh, okay. Now he's going to lift 510. Oh, no, he's not going to do it because the fans are booing. And, uh, okay, he's going to walk around for a while. He's going to come back and he's going to lift 510 pounds. What's the goal? 700. Okay, we're going to get there eventually before we die. So I, this was just so long, so drawn out. If Rick Rude, if his plan is to antagonize people by being boring, then they doubled down in this segment. Even Vince McMahon later in the show is yes. like, that was so boring. And I'm like, Vince, you did it. It was probably your idea. So, okay. All right. I'm done. It's just so inherently flawed because this is an era where you do not like baby faces or excuse me, heels. And there are no baby faces involved. So we're going to watch Jesse Ventura cheerlead Dino Bravo to break a record. Like Ms. Fan said, we got to start with a warm-up. We know it's 700 pounds at 715. It's been announced, and we're at 400 and something when we start. Mm. Is there any like belief that he's not going to be able to do the 400, 500, 600 when he is going for 700? Mm. And yet it's like chapters in a book to get to that place. And nobody likes it, and no one's interested. And Jesse Ventura lectures the fans, and I, I, they're set up to fail. This whole first match, this whole uh, second segment, it reminds me of almost what I would expect, rather than what I've experienced in the Legacy series. Because on paper, I think we're going back 30, 35 years to a promotion that was secondary to my viewing. And yet, 
nothing has been like this. It's been magic. It's been energy. It's been great storytelling. It's been great depths and great heights. And for about 40 minutes, though, it really is just a product that is not seasoned, has no taste, and I do not want it. Mm. So for, there is there is a little bit of, oh, my God, this is how is the error what we've been calling? And then what is this on this plate tonight? Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't understand. I, they just they went out to try something, I guess. I don't know why they thought it would work. This needed to either be like five minutes long or it needed a baby face to come out after five minutes and just like wreck shit. I, if a baby face had come out and just like dump their privilege all over this segment, I actually would have been thanking them this yes. time because it should be everyone's privilege to break up a segment like this. It, I think we just uh, we, we bumped into each other arriving at this point. Because we have been so conditioned. Where is Hacksaw and JYD to like hold down the bar and choke him to death and be like, oh, he's dead. That's what he gets for trying to break a record. You know, you're conditioned. And the one time it doesn't happen, that's how god awful these baby faces are. The one time they, they can actually do something decent for the good of humanity. Where are they? Yeah, when we really needed them, them, they abandoned us for sure. Yeah. But yeah, I don't know. Is it. Have we had a segment where there's no babyface interference? Even Rick Rude tonight, you know, they play his music to go to a new height of making the the heel think they won, just to reverse it. But here in this segment, they're all Hacksaw's busy playing to win a rumble. He has no business winning. Like, where are they? I don't know. Yeah, no, I I, I don't know of any segments like this. Um, it's almost it reminds me a little of like back when they did TNT and they did segments where heels just like did their shtick. For a while, but that was like Vince and Alfred Hayes, and they were like, it was like goofy and funny, and this was just none of those things, and it was just like, I don't know, it was super weird, I don't know, it's Vince McMahon's love of weightlifting and bodybuilding, I guess, or something, I don't know, it didn't work though, so it was not good. It was a trial run for the WBF, and it worked so well <laughs> that we we went ahead with it. <laughs> Uh, yeah, you you might be right about that. Did you like the AEW Stampede something, something, another? I did. I enjoyed it. I had fun okay. with it. It's weird because I didn't watch that. I haven't really watched much AEW, mm. although T, there was a Tifa cosplay, so that's that works. But <laughs> I heard fans bashing it, or not fans, but people, you know, that hate AEW. Sure. And one of the commentary response, or one of the comments, in response was, oh, yeah, that's so bad. Back in the day, uh, they had a bench press con- uh, competition with Dino Bravo. <laughs> but that was the retaliation comment in a comment section that I read the other day before is I watched that, this. Is, is that real? Did that happen? Yes. <laughs> that's unbelievable. Oh, my God. Um, yeah, okay. So, to so for some people, the biggest crime in wrestling is that it would be silly. It would be wacky. And right. I don't begrudge that. I get that. Some people want wrestling to be a certain thing. And when wrestling gets silly, it's like the opposite of that. And it's very abhorrent to them. I think it's a right. bit extreme, but they have that opinion. To me, the worst thing wrestling can be is boring. Like, mm. this was a very realistic segment. This is probably what a weightlifting record really looks like. And I couldn't possibly give less of a shit about that. So, you know, I will take the silly stuff miles ahead of something that is realistic but boring and that is just what my fandom is so there you go i think it's 
Because I, I don't think Jesse, I don't think Dino, I don't think anybody did a bad job. I just think the segment was set up to fail on every, you know. No, but this could have been, like, The Rock and Hulk Hogan and Steve Austin and yes. all the, like, they could have gotten together to do this segment, and it still would have sucked. You know, that you yeah. couldn't save a segment with just 20 minutes of just, like, slowly increasing <laughs> the weights that you're lifting and then, like, scolding the audience when they don't give a shit. So, yeah. That was the lowest point. Is when Jesse and Terry tell you, you might not like him, but you need to... Upra- I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> they're, being, all right, they're being chastised for not cheering and appreciating, but the goal of the WWF would be for them not to cheer and appreciate. So there comes a point that, you know, like, what do you even want and what is happening and how... I As a fan, I have no way to react to it mm. like i don't know what you want and i don't think you know what you want yeah yeah this was a miss um by any standard uh, it definitely existed better when it was just like a 30 second clip that they could talk about later like they could have just done that <sighs> oh well here we are we will jump from that to uh one of the Matches I think I've most enjoyed, maybe in the Legacy series, but definitely sure. on the show. Um, and let me go ahead and say, far above the Hart Foundation is the Jumping Bomb Angel. So <laughs> as that list continues to grow, Glamour Girls probably will be about close to the Hart Foundation. Like it's a good technical team, and they're and they're good at what they do. But on that list that is growing, not in history, but in a single era, the Jumping Bomb Angels to me are just worlds. Like the way. The explosiveness, the originality, the hard hitting, it's just it's another group that seems like they're ahead of their time. Oh, very much so. Not for the first time. The women of Japanese wrestling, the Joshi wrestlers, as they are called, are here to save the day uh, on an American show. It seems like anytime we saw some WCW, too, and yes. we're going to see it later in the WWF. Anytime women come in from Japan, they are like a league ahead of everyone around them, and that's very much accurate. Like, that style, 80s, 90s, Joshi wrestling, is one of my favorite styles of all time, just because everyone seems so talented and so advanced, and um, they're just exciting. They're very fun to watch. This is, like, the polar opposite of what we saw just before this. Yeah, and Jesse Ventura, Hill announcer, though with more integrity, he said, this is a direct quote from our Hill announcer, Jesse Ventura, I've never seen anyone better in women's wrestling than the Jumping Bomb Angels. Yeah, and, and he's he's right. He's spot on, I think. Um, that yeah. They are just major standouts here. Yeah, they're probably the best thing on this show in some ways. Uh, they're just, they're, they're so good. I love them, even if commentary can't figure out what their names are. That, that was a remarkable. <laughs> that was remarkable. the battle of the, the battle in the booth was like, how do we pronounce these names uh, or should we even try at one point Vince was calling them pink and red angel so that's something this is also again though why nothing made sense back then because this is the man who owns the company I guess books the talent but he doesn't know the names of the people competing and winning the tag titles so he calls them <laughs> pink and red like how do you make sense of that Right. It just shows, I think, again, because like Vince McMahon, it's kind of like a control freak. I think it's known. He likes to kind of control everything. This is a time when he wasn't really able to control everything. Um, And uh, in some ways, that's probably good. In some ways, yeah, like these women have been around at least since Survivor Series before that, really. 
And uh, he doesn't know their names, so that's, you know, it is what it is, I guess. His reason is that he knows their names, but he's not good at pronouncing Japanese, <laughs> so he's not going to try. I mean, he's probably not wrong, but I didn't think that that would stop him. I swear to God, I'm sure he did not know their names, and someone passed him, like, a note card, because yeah. he yeah. changes his tune halfway through. He's like, yes. oh, they're they're red and pink angel, and then later on he's he's saying their names, so somebody helped him out in the middle of this match. <laughs> oh, man, what a time. What a time. And <laughs> as bad as that might seem, it's still a notch above having everything perfectly scripted by people who don't know anything about wrestling. Oh, absolutely. You know, it's funny. Like, it's not the first time I've seen something like this in this era. I'm, I'm pretty sure, if I remember right, I've seen some Gorilla Monsoon matches where he did not know, like, which Rougeau brother was which. And he's just like, oh, there goes the a Rougeau or yeah. something. Oh, it happened a lot. <laughs> I think Absolutely. even when one of the Killer Bees comes out, I think it takes Vince a while in the Rumble to, to know for sure which one it is. I think so, yeah, for sure. I've seen it happen to the Nasty Boys, too, because why would you bother to remember, yeah. you know, which is which? So, you know, it, it, it just happens yeah. sometimes, I guess. So Absolutely. This is... I would have lost more money in this era maybe than any, and I wouldn't have thought. Like, I would be wrong on who's going to win the Rumble in this matchup. Mm. Um, I'll get into it in the contract signing, but February 5th is coming up Hogan and Andre. And after that contract signing, I would have put a lot of money on Hulk Hogan uh, coming out on top. And we'll get into those reasons. And in this matchup, the tag team champions, the reigning veteran champions with Jimmy Hart, it's two out of three falls. And they win the first fall. And that, to me, doesn't tell me they're going to win it. But the odds are starting to be stacked up that the Glamour Girls are going to keep their tag team titles. Mm. That power bomb overthrow, I don't know what that is, where you throw the person over their head instead of power bombing them. Mm. I, I don't even know what to call it either. It's a good move, though. And that's how they win the first fall. So a very decisive win for the tag team champions. And, you know, having to win two falls back to back as challengers is not an easy thing to do. But by God, it's going to be done tonight. It is, yeah. Jumping Bombay Angels come back. They get that win. Um, they really impress. I think a lot of people. Ventura uh, has another comment. He's like, these women, they're more vicious than most of our men. And you know, he's not wrong either. Yeah. Like, they're really in there. They're hitting hard. They go after the legs of the Glamour Girls and really start pulverizing them. And there's all these moves in Ventura. And Vince are like, whoa, like, I never saw that before. Like, a bunch of times in this match, they're saying that. So. You said it best when you said these women are, like, ahead of the yeah. game, ahead of their time, because they really are here. And they win the second fall with Sunset Flip, but they win the third fall with double drop kicks to one combatant off the, from off the separate top ropes, so mm. turnbuckles. It's, it's, yeah, it's, it's powerful. They come in, and they make a statement. You, well, you think they make a statement by winning the tag titles, but they make statement after statement after statement with their offense in the match. Uh, double figure fours in the matchup. Um, just very impressive. A big win. We're not going to have them in the company for a long time, so I want to make it clear that very special in this era are the Jumping Bomb Angels. Yeah, unfortunately, this might be it for them already because um, this is a very short-lived little division. Uh, but it's impressive in its time. It's the best match on the show. It's an excellent match. It's the match you should skip to. Uh, and ignore the yeah. first two if you are, have not watched the show already and you want to save yourself some boredom. Um, but, yeah, it's really impressive. And it's it's a little bit sad as well because, um, you know, women's wrestling will go up and down. And there will be some times when it gets some spotlight and there will be a lot of times it doesn't. And I think this really shows you 
it could have been spotlighted all along. Like, the talent and the ability was out there, and the fact that we're going to have a lot of years where it's like, oh, well, women need not apply, you know, don't even bother coming. Uh, it's just too bad. It's a missed opportunity, I think. It is. It clearly is if you watch a matchup like this. Absolutely. It, there's no other way around it. Uh, <laughs> is it? Um, just put it up against the matches on this card, and you know you have your answer. Absolutely. Uh, so the jumping bomb angels do win. Just to ensure, points out that uh, it looks like one of the shoulders is not fully down. Oh, um, <laughs> they show a replay that shows pretty obviously the shoulder isn't as down as it should be. And Vince McMahon first denies it, even though he's looking right at it, and then he just says, "Shut up!" in like the most <laughs> Mr. McMahon way that he could possibly do. So yeah. Except for that's uh, an exclamation point for baby faces at this time. <laughs> yep, yep. That's what, that's yeah, you're thing. right. And the baby face fans, he's like, if a heel makes a good point, deny it, and then just snarl, shut up, and maybe to hit, hit him with a two-by-four and throw a snake on him and, you know, anything else they deserve. Cut off all their hair. It is a night where Jesse Ventura will, will work circles around Vince McMahon in logic and debate, and twice Vince McMahon will follow that up with grammar corrections on Jesse Ventura. <laughs> uh, he will. He will. Yeah, Vince really cannot uh, outfight Ventura um, yeah. verbally, so that's, uh, that's an interesting thing to look at. It's like Vince McMahon, if you play a strategy RPG game where you can click on all the boxes around the, the field... Visit Man can only fight on the box in front of him, and the rest of the people can use any box they want on the screen. <laughs> yeah, but that one box, he can really hammer it. So, yes. you know. <laughs> He's had a lot of time, and he has uh, proven. Uh, he tells him, don't use, don't use a double negative, and Jesse's like, you understood what I said, right? Make sure he's schooling him on uh, common usage. So. Especially since Jesse Ventura clearly is doing it as part, like he uses the word ain't instead of um, haven't, and Vince McMahon corrects him on that. But it's a style issue. Yeah. And so our babyface hero is like a snob, an elitist uh, who is schooling uh, the more everyman heel. And it just tells you about uh, the babyface era that we are in. <laughs> like, I've been yeah. wrong about every argument, so let me shame you on your language. <laughs> Mitchell really uh, needles him for a bit about going to an Ivy League college yes. and uh, how pathetic their sports teams are. And he's like, oh, you wish that Dino Bravo was out there reading poetry or <laughs> something like that. So, yeah, you got to love it. Although uh, Lanny Poffo will prove that babyface is... Uh, hate poetry as well so yeah. yeah i think vince bows up a little bit at the end of the show on that whole ivy league he's like oh really and, and doesn't have a lot of argument but it's like oh okay now <laughs> there's the line there's the line back up jesse yeah for sure I, there, there are definitely things that you don't needle vince mcmahon about like um you know how he hates the word junior right yeah 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 that's like another thing so you don't hear anybody calling him junior or anything like that. There's some lines, you know, cross with Vince, um, even at this Especially time. So in this era, if I looked at this man, I didn't know his name. I would be like, is his name junior? And you know, that would just be my first thought. <laughs> yeah. That commentator embodies it. Absolutely. Okay. So we get into another controversial three count. We were going back over the entire history of Hulk Hogan and Andre the giant. 
uh, from WrestleMania 3 onward. It's, it's interesting how they've kept this debate alive. And I want to say, even though transitions are always difficult, that is a thing and a theme that I will hit throughout this series because my first favorite wrestler in WWF was Shawn Michaels. I started watching in 92. First favorite wrestler as a rocker, as betraying Marty Jannetty, automatically my first favorite wrestler. And yet going into WrestleMania 12, I will be supporting Bret Hart over Shawn Michaels because the first time I will hate Shawn Michaels is when WWF is pushing him to the world title because the WWF push and transition, that hard sell, I didn't even know what it was at the time, but it turned me off to my favorite wrestler in the company because it's so obscene. Transitions are hard is what I'm saying. So it's not easy to go from Bobby Heenan and Andre to Ted DiBiase and Andre. I think it takes a step down as we have to get used to it. it. takes a step down because Bobby Heenan's not involved. But it's also masterful in that if Hulk Hogan and the power of Hulkamania can beat King Kong Bundy, and if it can beat Andre the Giant, and make no mistake, I like the three-count controversy, but Hulk Hogan beat Andre the Giant at WrestleMania 3. Yeah. It, it tells you that perhaps there is no force in the world more powerful than Hulk Hogan. So Teddy Biasi is taking this roundabout that has never been taken. That I don't think there's a force that can beat you. There's no 450 pounder. There's no 500 pounder. But I believe the almighty dollar. I believe the logic that everybody has a price. I believe I can buy my way to the championship. It's so smart to me and, and, and so risky because in some ways we are leaving the tried and true. And even though we're still in the same angle, we are we are we have moved and altered the way that we are approaching it right smack in the middle of this like one year uh, storyline. Yeah, no, it's um, it's a different tack, and I think it needed to be because, yeah, you can't come up with somebody stronger, bigger than Andre to go after no. Hogan, credibly. So you have to take some kind of different tactic, and uh, you take a guy like DiBiase, who's not as big as Hogan, who's not as strong as him, clearly, uh, but he has a different set of threatening abilities. He's got that money. Also, he's got, like... You know, he's like got the evil smarts. You know, he's that kind yep. of character. So is he going to outsmart Hogan? Is he going to have a better strategy? Um, and here, yeah, I mean, like it's all strategic because DiBiase wants the title, but he's not direct about it. He's like recruiting Andre. We see that great segment where he makes a deal with Bobby Heenan for Andre to uh, deliver the world title to him. And uh, there's just a lot of pieces going on with it. So I like that they took a different route with it. And I think uh, it was a smart thing to do. Absolutely. The thing that is so smart to me is the fact that I was saying, um, I believe on the last show, that these guys have one identity and they drill down, drill down, drill down. But if your identity is everybody has a price and you try to purchase the world title and the response is hell no, it's almost like the end of your gimmick. Go home like your idea doesn't work. <laughs> But the masterful thing is Ted DiBiase spins that into Hulk Hogan made a mistake that he's going to regret. And I have not changed my mind. I'm still going to buy the title. Everybody still has a price. And Andre the Giant is going to win me the belt. And 
is there anything as obnoxious for what he cannot make up for the history of Bobby Heenan and the ability of Bobby Heenan? He's a new guy, but what a powerful uh, heel tactic that no matter how many times I am set back, I'm simply still going to buy my way to the world title. I will be world champion without making any actual effort to, to win it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I, I will say we already touched on it a little bit, but... You know, this show is exciting because it's the first Royal Rumble. It's exciting because we have this uh, excellent, excellent women's tag team match. But it is also very exciting because we get this uh, Hogan-Andre contract segment. And uh, there are layers of goodness in this segment that I am very excited to get into. Does that begin with Canada's own Jack Tunney being in the (laughs) ring? (laughs) It does. The man who uh, will serve a long time as WWF president. Um which allegedly was a deal they had to make with Jack Tunney because he was such a hard ass about his uh, little area that he promoted. Um, but, hey, you know, it, it got him a job, and now he's iconic. He's Jack Tunney. You know, everybody knows about Jack Tunney, so here he is. Absolutely. This is Jack Tunney entering the Legacy Series in person. Um, DiBiase, Virgil, Andre do not get music. Uh, DiBiase has spent all his money to buy the belt and cannot afford other things apparently Hulk Hogan <laughs> does get music and he comes out without the red and yellow so again this is a Hulk Hogan that you would never find in any other era oh man Hogan Hogan wearing the blue and white that's great I love Hogan not wearing the red and yellow because it's something he never would have done after a certain point you know I after the 90s when, when we hit the 90s I don't think we'll ever see him mm-hmm. without his red and yellow <laughs> and I'm just gonna go ahead and put over Two people. So this is the moment that you have to watch where Andre the Giant in his suit, in his suspenders, leaning on the rope, hands in his front pocket. It is a beautiful the confidence and arrogance of Andre that is being conveyed, but equally as good. Mm. Hulk Hogan embodies and portrays not only an intimidated Hulk Hogan, but damn near a timid Hulk Hogan, and it's not something new. Like the Hulk Hogan in this entirety of this angle has treated Andre the Giant like Andre the Giant is a step before and a step above him. And it, along with everything else, is why this angle works on the level that it works. Yeah, yeah. Hogan, uh, very nervous uh, in this segment, which you don't expect to see. Even in the context of these Andre segments, I thought it was more pronounced here. And I'm going to assume it's just because Andre just looked like the coolest friggin' guy on the planet leaning against those ropes. I can't stress enough. It probably sounds like nonsense if you haven't actually seen this segment. But go watch it, and you will see Andre just be the coolest man that ever lived. And it's unbelievable. Like I would be, I'd be intimidated anyway, if I saw Andre, but if I saw Andre leaning against the root, the ropes in his suit and suspenders, I would probably just fall down in my grave because like I couldn't exist in the same world with that Andre, the giant. It is one of the scariest things in the world. And it is how far can Andre go from attempting to be scary? Like, if he were to roar and raise his hands over his head, that's the Andre you would expect. The Andre that you get, it's as if he's already done the deed and taken the belt off. And maybe the referee thing has already been divulged to him. Maybe he already knows. But they are in the ring 
as if Andre knows he's already won and Hulk Hogan knows he's already lost. Mm. And what I like about this show, what I like about Miz Fan, what I like about unearthing is we find the things that are absolute nonsense until they prove themselves not to be. And you go back, if you have any taste, if you have any intuition, if you have any interior skills, you go back and watch Andre in his suit and his suspenders leaning on that rope and just let the power and energy and visual rhetoric speak to you on an embodied level. It is one of the best moments in the Legacy series so far. It really is. There's something very different about it, because mostly up to this point, Heel Andre has either been like kind of blankly staring, uh, you know, and like he'll widen his eyes or something, and that tells you like that he's emoting, yeah. uh, which is, you know, it's effective. Um, or we've seen like Laughing Andre, where he's like looking evil and showing off his eight bazillion teeth. I don't know how he has so many teeth. <laughs> Uh, this Andre is engaged in a totally different way, and uh, there's something about it that's like more intimidating than those other two things combined. There's a power to it. It's an Andre who is just playing it so cool, and like maybe you're right. Maybe he already knows that like the match is in his pocket. Maybe he's just having a really good night. I don't even know what to call it, but Andre in this segment is something even more special than in the other segments we've seen. I don't know for sure what it is, but I'm going to go ahead and venture a particular guess is that I am an undefeated talent for 15 years. My opponent has existed for three. (laughs) He was afraid to give me a title shot. He finally did because I forced it. And I beat him in less than three minutes at WrestleMania three. And for a single year, every time I've been in the ring with him, I have whipped his ass. I've had my way with him. I've dominated him. I've shamed him. I've chased him and been restricted. I went from Bobby Heenan to Ted DiBiase, who has ensured me that the belt is won already. Every single thing about this narrative points to an Andre the Giant who should have his hands in his pockets, his suspenders on, leaning on that rope. But so few times in wrestling history do we even consider the narrative from the Hills perspective, much less the Hill giant who can't think he's only a bad guy. But if you're playing this out from the mindset of Andre the Giant and the history of this storyline, the only thing he should be doing is putting his hands in his front pockets and leaning on the rope just how he is. And Hulk Hogan's so smart, and he's right to be scared, and he's right to be timid. It's the right thing. He's the line drawer. He is the divider. And yet, he does not yet have a rhetorical device that that even makes him the winner of the showdown. He's going to go to his most desperate ploy before the night's over, which is you've got to beat all the Hulkamaniacs. And he's not going to say it one time, he's going to say it two times. And it does not sound like that easily divided world. It sounds more like he is reaching and he's desperate and he doesn't know his way forward. Whereas if Ted DiBiase and Andre have had even a moment of doubt, I don't know when it was and I don't know where it was. 
But there is trouble, Miz fan, in the world of Hulk Hogan and Hulkamania and this WWF title reign. <laughs> and it's interesting. This aired on almost exactly the four-year anniversary of him first winning wow. that title. So for a man who has been champion for four years straight... To come in and to be intimidated and to show fear, a guy who almost never would do so. That's something that really tells you, I think, everything you need to know about Andre here. Yeah, because, again, thinking with my brain, with the logical part of me, I think Hulk Hogan is not only going to be intimidated, but before this segment's over, he's going to lunge for DiBiase. Andre's going to take him, plant his face on the table, take the table and Hogan and flip them over. Hmm. Like, logical, mystic wrestling fan says, you're going to shame Hulk Hogan like that. He's going to come back and beat you at the next show. But this is a storyline, and this is an angle, and this is a time in history. This is why we brought the space element to bear. Where felt sense and powers that even go beyond that are often more at work than logical point A to point B booking. And I, at his best, I don't know if there's anyone who who can intuit the felt sense and the directional sense like Hulk Hogan. And I part of me wonders now that you've said this, because if I'm a four year champion and I've changed wrestling forever, not even Andre the Giant should make me timid. But I wonder if there's something about the fact that in something like 11 days, you're no longer going to be champion. Is there something in the energy and air and atmosphere and reality of what is to come that Hulk Hogan at an embodied sense can't figure out or can't shake or can't deny? Whatever it is, for this long feud, this year long, the tides seem to have turned. And it is a rare moment in history where you cannot visually tell who is heel and who is babyface, who is champion and who is challenger, who is the one who has been winning and who is the one who has been losing. Something has happened and it's invisible and it's so very visible at the same time. Yeah, yeah. This is a special segment. Um, it really delivers everything it needs to, and actually a lot more than that. Um, Hogan and Andre, the rematch, it's going to be big no matter what. You could argue that WWF didn't even need to kind of go to all this trouble for this match. Um, but I'm very glad that they did uh, because it just um, – it's emblematic of the era that they really don't still take anything for granted. Like they're still pushing for the next level. And um, I – I don't know how I'm going to feel about the match itself because you've already alluded to the fact that it has a uh, really unexpected, unusual twist to it. And I've not seen that match before, so I'm going to reserve judgment. Um, but I am reserving judgment, but also on paper, like it's a twist that doesn't throw me. So maybe that's a step too far. But this segment, like this build, this is awesome. This is really good stuff. Yeah. After what we've said... It strikes me in retrospect that when it's time for Andre to go to violence in this uh, contract signing, I think twice DiBiase says, put your stamp on it. Mm. And if anything happened on this show, Andre the Giant put his stamp 
on this feud and on the direction of the world title and the history of this company because I don't remember if I've seen this match or not, and we can debate when we get to it how it came about and why it came about like it did, but a man buying a world title and referees unveiling themselves and Hulk Hogan's four-year title reign ending, this redirects the history of this company for the remainder of its time. And so put your stamp on it, Andre. That it doesn't it doesn't get more on the nose than put your stamp on it, Andre, because he is doing just that. Indeed. He stamps Hulk Hogan's face uh, into the table. And I love this because DBS is like on Hogan, he's like, Oh, you made such a huge mistake, you signed that contract and it'll end your career. But you gotta do it and uh Really just gets under his skin, and then, yeah, he says, put your stamp on it. And Hogan takes the first swing. Yes. He takes a swing at DiBiase. The tension is too much. It breaks down for him. He does what a baby face does best and uh, tries to hit first. And uh, he misses. Andre grabs him and just slams his face into the table and then sends him reeling, and the table lands on top of him. And uh, it's a very chaotic scene. I love how it comes about. I love how it's executed. It's awesome. Yeah, it, it is awesome. And again, everything just kind of unveiling itself in real time as we talk about this, which is the point of dialogue. Hulk Hogan really comes across in this feud like someone whose mentor was Andre the Giant and who does see him as larger than life. And isn't it funny that this, this timid, intimidated world champion does take the first swing, but he does not take it at Andre the Giant. Mm. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He, mm. he goes after the guy who um, who's really under his skin here. Uh, the guy who's I can't stress enough how he's just taunting Hogan and uh, putting those doubts in his mind and uh, making him feel that fear that he doesn't usually feel. So I'm not surprised that it, he broke the tension by taking a swing. And yeah, it's not at Andre; it's at DiBiase. I'm just now thinking, too, that when Andre turned heel, Hulk Hogan turned his gaze away from Andre to blame Bobby Heenan. And, yeah, he took him on at WrestleMania 3 because he had to. Mm -hmm. But almost everything since then has been Andre chasing Hogan. And now Hogan is blaming DiBiase and directed at DiBiase. So a feud where you are refusing to take on the Giant directly, but the Giant is taking you on directly. Like that, you can't you can't afford that, mm. and it, it's just one mistake. But you know, short of Andre the Giant and Teddy Biasi doing what they're about to do to Hulk Hogan, Randy Savage is already turning babyface. I don't know who ends this title reign if DiBiase and Andre don't do what they're about to do. Mm. Yeah, yeah, it's an interesting. Uh, he could still be champion to that point. Yeah. <laughs> You know, but uh, um, you, you just mentioned uh, Randy Savage. He's a guy we spent a lot of time talking about this show. You talk about Heenan not being on the show kind yes. of uh, makes it maybe lose a little something. I would say not having Savage kind of does as well. Um, it's interesting. For a show that was meant to, like, counter uh, a pay-per-view from the NWA, it's kind of missing some of the guys you would expect to be on this show. Yeah, I don't know if that's just reasons that we don't know. That's the arrogance of Vince McMahon, because by God, a free, 
a, a WWF show you have to pay for is probably greater than a than a free NWA show, much less the other way around. But yeah, <laughs> Randy Savage not being here two shows in a row. Oh yeah, it doesn't. Three. Yeah, it doesn't. It doesn't stop some of the things that are already great, but it takes away a certain thing that diversifies the greatness of this era when Randy Savage is not on it. Yeah, and like kind of another better candidate to actually uh, win this. So yes. I don't know what that's about exactly. Um, but hey, honestly, for all I know, they probably uh, had another house show on the same day because um, that's just how they rolled in this time. Yeah. So he may be off main eventing that. I'm actually looking it up right now. Yeah, in a different part of Canada, they had another house show main evented by Randy Savage and Honky Tonk Man. So hey, if you can make two big paydays, on oh, the God. same day, I guess that's the way you're going to go in this era. It makes one wonder, should you be counter-programming your so-called competition when you can run two shows at the same time while doing it? <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Uh, a tale of uh, being greedy, no doubt. I'm now at the, the, the most difficult decision so far in our run together. Oh, boy. Would you rather have Randy Savage on this show or not have him, but also not have the Honky Tonk Man? <laughs> that's very cruel oh my gosh I, you know for Savage in this era I think I would take just about anybody so I'm going to yeah. say I would still take Savage even though my dislike of the Honky Tonk Man is very strong Savage might be the last guy with Yokozuna I can't remember now I know he's he's in there uh, in 93 yeah he yeah. is Savage tries to pin Yokozuna yeah. because Savage never understood the rules of the Royal Rumble apparently and uh, Yokozuna like presses him yes. over the top from that position so yeah that's all believable too it is I yeah, it's, I, I, it's a weird but compelling bit of psychology that Randy Savage never seemed to really grasp the Royal Rumble it's also why again characters need to be an authentic extension of who they are because mm-hmm. in reality every strength that you have creates weaknesses that you have to have because for everything you fill yourself up on, you are also like depriving yourself in other directions. And Randy Savage will thrive on a psychology that is chaotic and out of control and doesn't always make sense. Mm. And that same psychology would be like, let me pin Yokozuna because that's what's happening in the moment. (laughs) Yep. Pure instinct. And it betrayed him at that time. So we this, though, is what we're talking about as we get into what is a 20-man every two-minute Royal Rumble is we are embarking on a rich history. And one of the favorite things about this series is going to be getting to do all these Royal Rumbles with all their story, all their history, what's happening in that year, how does it play out, who are the stars. And so that's just a hint of things to come, 1993. Right now, though, we are rooting down in 1988 for the first ever televised Royal Rumble, where one of the biggest tropes is who comes out first and who comes out second. Well, in 1988, those folks are already currently in the ring revealed to us. So. <laughs> yep. Hey, you know, you got to make time for the weightlifting segment, so we don't yeah. have time for entrances. Um. <laughs> it's a good choice, though. Bret Hart and Tito Santana. Is, Great is, choice. Uh, yeah. You can't beat that. Yeah, your top spots, unless there's some specific story thing going on, you want to give your top spots, your first spots, to uh, workhorse types. And couldn't get a whole lot better than Brett and Tito in a role like that. Brett, I think, is the longest guy lasting in this match. Yeah. He sets that first kind of, like, 
Iron Man trope where he hangs around for a really long time. And yet he does well here, you know. It's pretty clear uh, at this point. I think it already was when he got a match with Randy Savage. It's clear they see something in this guy, and they're uh, they're kind of testing out and seeing what he can do. Yeah, I think he's in about 36 minutes because he goes all the way to, I think, number 18 or so. And it really strikes to me at what is best about Bret Hart, and that is a steady, dependable person. Mm. Like you, you can plug him in anywhere, and he's going to do exactly what is asked of him. And he will be the first in the history of the Royal Rumble to have that impressive long run and to do the work and to kind of just be there and get it done uh, in ways that there's a lot of talent who probably cannot fill that role well. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely so. So uh, I think we're about to see soon um, the first kind of like experimental solo run of Brett. uh, So I'm very curious to see what he can do with that as well. Yeah, this is uh, this is uh, the first attempt. Uh, We'll see how it goes. I really have no idea how it goes. Hmm. Uh, We'll come back to the Heart Foundation and then we'll do it again. It will obviously succeed the second time around. Yeah. Right now it's really. It's a debate that goes on in this match between Jesse is kind of really heels versus babyface, almost a Survivor Series mentality. Vincent Mann keeps pushing the, it's still every man for himself. And we'll see both of their ideas be right at some point in the match. Mm. Yeah, Ventura goes especially hard down that line in this match. At one point, there's like three heels and three faces. He's like, well, it's three on three. And it's like... Yeah. It's not exactly, but not. the the ties are so strong in this era. You're not really going to see – you don't even really see heels betraying each other, which is something you might see uh, in a different time or place. But now it's like, yeah, you're like in, in your gang, um, and you don't you don't go after the other people. So um, Ventura is kind of more right, which uh, is not unexpected if you've been listening to what we're talking about. It is, it is. But I also think your strengths being your weaknesses. Like Jesse Ventura is so smart about the details and what is what that I think one of the hardest things for him is – seeing the business ever kind of change or evolve, you know, there'll be some, certain times in matches where somebody does something off the top rope and he's like, I can't believe they kicked out. You can't kick out when someone jumps off the second rope, you know? <laughs> and I think this is another one of those moments where he is exactly right in this era, yet what the Royal Rumble is and what it's going to evolve into is that every man for himself, because who would not put out someone to win the Royal Rumble, especially to go on to WrestleMania. Mm. So it's easier for him to see, I think, what is and what has been than what is to come because he's so smart in breaking down the past into the present. Mm. Yeah, I know for a fact that a lot of these early Rumbles are fun, but it definitely elevates to a new point when something's on the line, when we get that (laughs) all-time great 1992 match where they're wrestling for the title, and then uh, one of the smartest decisions I think WWE ever made is uh, putting that WrestleMania title shot on the line in the Royal Rumble, and that really helped cement it as one of the uh, most important and most exciting events of the year. You're so so right. One of the smartest decisions in the history of this company. Hmm. And it's, it's so WWF in that, as controlled as it may be, there's also this feeling in so many of these eras that anything could honestly happen. Yeah. And is there is there any greater showcase of that than a Royal Rumble with a luck of the draw, with a world title match at WrestleMania? That really changes the game. That for once a, once every year, you don't have to be Hulk Hogan or Stone Cold Steve Austin to at least potentially have a chance to not only challenge for the world title, but to go to WrestleMania to do it. That is mind-blowing in its idea 
Indeed, and uh, eventually we may see a bit of a turning of that because we'll see some Rumble winners that uh, maybe should not have won. Um, but that's more past the era that we're going to have to talk about, so we won't get too far into maybe some more recent uh, occurrences. Mm. Um, I'll say the moment I knew that this match was over, uh, it's, it starts out Tito and Brett, and then Butch Reed comes out and he's a heel. He beats up Tito, and Jim Neidhart comes out, and of course he's with Brett, and they're all beating up Tito. Then number five, you Jake the Snake Roberts, and he runs in, and he throws out Butch Reed, and he starts beating up the heels, and the crowd is just popping and going nuts for this. And I'm like, okay, yeah, like, obviously this works. I don't know what they did on that house show, but, like, <laughs> obviously this match is going to be super popular because you get moments like this that you don't really get uh, in other matches. You know, run-ins are exciting to the point that they will at one point be, like, so abused that fans will just look at the entryway anytime something is happening, mm. waiting for someone to come out. But hey, here, you've got a match where guys get to dramatically run in every two minutes. Like, what could be more exciting than that? It's great. I love it. Yes, that's a very smart analysis. I marked that, too, is that the biggest kind of pop and prevailing moment. Also, Jake Roberts, who cannot be bothered often to jog or run, is running and yes. moving fast, and he's the fresh man and is... But the fans pop for it in a way that says, yes, we have arrived. This this match concept works. Who do you think you would have picked to win this Royal Rumble if you had been watching? Oh, man. I This is this is before I was born by a couple weeks. So I don't know if I could put myself in that mindset. I probably, I mean, they didn't announce who was in it beforehand. So God knows, like, Hulk Hogan could have showed up in it and won. So. Yeah. You know, I have no idea. Uh, who would have you thought? I think maybe Jake Roberts. I'd be a good. It would have been better than we got. So. <laughs> I'm not even saying that's who I would want to win it, but sure. you know, just as far as being a top star, a freaking warrior is in this just for the record of unearthing legacies. <laughs> you know, I would have told you, just in my you know hazy memory, that a warrior came in and steamrolled the company and won the world, the Intercontinental Title, and the World Title. But he staggered around the Royal Rumble and got, like, nonchalantly tossed out before he did any of that. Yeah, it did not uh, have any special treatment yet in the company. It was just kind of another guy out there. It's funny how that happens sometimes, but, you know, we'll, we'll see, obviously, bigger things for the Ultimate Warrior. Yeah, so got tag teams in here. Jim Brunzel's in there. Uh, Sam Houston is in this. So that's an interesting guy who I've forgotten from my early childhood uh, wrestling watching. Yeah, that lanky cowboy, uh, half brother of Jake, if you didn't know. Yeah. Um, oh. Yeah. He takes a nasty. I think he takes the nastiest spill of the night off the shoulders. I think of Ron Bass all the way to the floor. He does. So. Yeah. He takes a big bump. Um. Yeah. It's another thing I love about the Royal Rumble. You'll see guys that like. I don't know if we'll see Sam Houston on any other card in this whole thing. And I'm not like crazy about Sam Houston, but just like th these are guys who. You know, they have their own legacy, they have their own narrative, and it's smaller than the bigger guys, but, like, they're worth remembering and worth talking about, so it's yeah. nice to uh, give them that opportunity. That's another special thing about the Royal Rumble, so... Absolutely. Man, Jake Roberts should have won this. Why didn't Jake Roberts win this match? Ah, oh, you put that in my head now, and, uh, it would have been better. It's surprising. It would have been better. He's not only a babyface, but he's a, a kind of long-established star in the company now. Yeah. So I would have thought, maybe, I think I would have thought Jake Kelly got eliminated if I had been watching in real time. 
Probably so. Like, I, I don't think there's any debating that Jake Roberts was a bigger babyface star than Jim Duggan was. And Jim Duggan got the pops, but, like, I don't know. Jake Roberts is clearly above him, yes. I think, in the oh, ranking. So. Uh, so one comment from the matchup is, Vince McMahon is still antagonizing Jesse Ventura, and Jesse says, if you don't knock it off, you're going to hear from Barry Bloom. And Vince McMahon says, who? And he says, you know who. I don't know who, so I don't know. Just, I don't know if this this match or the next one, but, like, they, they do some more of that. They talk about, like, oh, who would be a Hulkamaniac and who would be, like, a giant maniac or something. And they're talking about people and, you know, I don't know if it's an inside joke or just the error they're in, but I'm like, okay, all right, I don't know what you're talking about right now. So I think Barry Bloom is an agent uh, to wrestlers, so okay. he, and so Jesse Ventura, you know, kind of letting him know <laughs> you're gonna hear. There's gonna be some pressure put on you if you don't watch your step. Jesse Ventura, I believe, the first wrestler to use an agent to uh, actually yeah. get a professionally made contract. So um, Jesse Ventura, quite a trailblazer. And also yeah. um, doing these things that would make him uh, persona non grata with Vince. So it's also Vince Man just seems like he has such a sense of humor about things, which is so different than right. You know, what, at other times what it's going to seem like because none of this happens, no matter how much Jesse Ventura is a uh, is a rebel, and he is. If Vince Man doesn't want this, it, this ends after one show. You know. I think Vince. There's two Vinces. You know, there's backstage Vince, who's like. 10 times crazier than anything and nobody knows if he's a genius or like an idiot or you know everything in between there's on-screen Vince you think about like the stuff with Austin the stuff with um you know in that character like just he he's very willing to uh let people push him to like mm. be a fool if needed he's a great on-screen character he's one of my favorite on-screen characters so there's two Vinces there's the one you know in real life, and then there's the one who's a character, and uh, I know which one I like more, certainly, and I think you see some elements of that, where he will let things go as a character that he probably might not tolerate uh, in his real life. This is something I'm looking forward to, like, your, your, your fandom of Vince McMahon, the character, because I understood immediately that he was a fucking phenomenal character. The day mm. that he came on the air... With his black eye and said that Brett screwed Brett. That is not a narrative that I needed to develop in time so I could understand how fucking brilliant he was. Mm. Like, this is a world, as I said last week, where Brett Hart will never benefit from the Montreal screwdriver, which is just unfathomable. But Mr. McMahon, from day one, when even the wrestlers in his locker room thought about walking out on him, mm. he will get nothing but shine from this. But at the same time, I was a massive Austin fan. So when I watched it, I was watching it. Mostly from, oh, my God, all, you know, this is Austin's era. So I think when I get to bring my Austin fandom and you get to bring what you saw of Vincent Mann, I appreciate it, Vincent Mann, we bring that into a conversation about 10 years from now in the Legacy Series. And I think it's going to be a really fun time in this show. I'm very excited. That's one of the narratives um, that I probably know the least about, like uh, watching – regularly it's something i've kind of dipped in and out of so i'm very excited to get to that uh, it's going to be undiscovered territory for me i'm sure in many different places yeah vince mcmahon i think the magic of him for a moment what bobby heenan was to hogan and what andre was to hogan 
for at least a second in time, Vince McMahon was almost both as he was the Bobby Heenan antagonist. And then yeah. he was at a moment, the wrestler also against Austin. So <laughs> it's a hell of a void to stand in. And you, so many times when you think about Bischoff doing it or Russo doing it, it's like, oh, my God, let the company just shut down. And yet the <laughs> owner of the company is going to put himself in the world title feud. And it's going to be not only the best thing for business, but half the reason that they go from almost going out of business to like conquering the world. It's unbelievable that that could be the truth, hmm. but it's going to be for an era. Yeah, I don't know if WWE's ever been more fortunate than they were with the fact that Vince McMahon was a brilliant heel in the way that he was. Because imagine if he had not been up for that task, would he have been able to like pull himself back? I don't know. Would the company have been okay if he hadn't been in that role? I don't know. You know, the fact that he was able to step into that so perfectly is probably the luckiest thing that ever happened to them. Yeah, if there and if there is even a moment of the locker room is against me, the PR is against me, I need to go on and let them know that by God, I am the one that gave them wrestling. I am a good guy. I am the, you know, anything except it was shocking and disturbing. Like you swallow wrong everything you know about the world, and you have this moment of almost I'm, I'm gonna turn this shit off and like I want this guy to fail. He's obviously a monster. Mm. At the same time, you're having I cannot look away from the screen. <laughs> uh, yes, Big Man was really capable of hiding um, his real questionable, maybe evil uh, activities under this like very fun character who was also evil. So. It's yeah. so strange. Like, I'm just going to have to wait and wrap my mind around all of that when we go through it. Yeah, we won't do it now, but it just popped in my head how similar. Yeah. When you see the rare interviews where he's on Larry King or something else, and he is denying all the allegations against his company, mm. it's almost the same man who was on that screen saying that Brett screwed Brett. <laughs> same delivery, same condescension, same... Like, I am telling you what the narrative is, so you will shut up and listen to it, and you will believe it. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Oh, man. And again, the, the, this, this is the, when you try to get in real time and unearth this t- stuff and let it happen rather than your narratives. I, I watched this, the entirety of this show and listened to Jesse Ventura mock him as the 20th person to come in. And it was only, like, after the show was over that I'm like, oh, my God, in 11 years he wins the Royal Rumble. Uh, like i said before it's a different guy like it couldn't it must be like his brother or something it couldn't be the same person because uh the distance is too great it doesn't seem possible i agree i agree uh you know who's great in this match harley race my man uh he's bumping all over this ring he does the bit where he's like caught in the ropes and he's like seesawing back and forth as jake robert punches him in the face when he finally goes out, he doesn't just go out. He, like, falls over the rope backwards and, like, slams his head on the apron, and he's stumbling around. And, man, I really like Harley Race. We haven't had a chance to talk about him a whole lot yet, so I'm excited to get more into the king, Harley Race. I just – a Royal Rumble is hard to do because you're taking notes on such a long show and you don't know what you're going to say, what I'm going to say. But here's what just happened in real time. Mm-hmm. I knew it was time to transition off of Vince McMahon and back into the Royal Rumble – my next comment would have been, do you know who I want to would have wanted to win the Rumble? Do you know who we are lucky to get to call? Do you know who we need to talk about and appreciate more? Harley Race. But then 
I was like, no, I will not speak because Miz fan will transition and he'll transition with Harley Race. <laughs> that was beautiful. I love doing this show. <laughs> yeah. It, this is our first Royal Rumble, and this is, I don't even know how, like, we're going to have to evolve probably when it gets to be a longer show. I don't know how you take notes and then have a conversation because I might be talking about something that happened 36 minutes in, and you might be talking about something in 12 minutes, but I swear to you, like, I thought, nope, no reason to speak. Mid-Sand's about to do it. So. <laughs> I absolutely love that. Um, it's good to be very in sync uh, with someone like you, Mr. Mystic. I'm yeah, and it's true. that I would say that. <laughs> I appreciate that a lot, and I appreciate Like, it is a gift to see Harley Race do what he what he does, and I think we're going to get a Harley Race Hulk Hogan matchup. So we got to pay tribute while while uh, there's time to pay tribute. Absolutely. I've already uh, uh, noted down some possible bonus Harley Race matches yeah. that I'm going to put on some future sets. So uh, you better believe we're going to talk about the king. And it kills me always because people, people who know, you know, people who have done the work, who have watched uh, more than I have even – are like, man, this Harley race isn't even, like, the Harley race. Like, this is his, like, very post-prime stuff. Yeah. And I'm like, man, he's, like, really good in this era still, like, in my opinion. Um, so he's got all of this um, legacy, which has yet to be unearthed uh, by the likes of us, which is even better than that. I don't know when, if ever, we'll have a chance to really talk about that, but I just wanted to mention that there's probably, like, a hundred Harley race performances better than the ones we've seen. Oh yeah. But it's, it, the truth is on both sides because he, the rare bumps he takes in the nineties as a manager are, are as beautiful as this. Oh, so absolutely. he's, he's yeah. always Harley race no matter what. Yep. Race invader is still a standout for sure. I oh wonder man. When, great stuff. I wonder if Harley race went to Vince or Vince went to Harley race to explain that even though this is a Royal rumble, you don't need to win it as king because the king wouldn't need it, and you're already the king. So what else do you need? <laughs> I think just uh, uh, I'm I'm pretty sure it was Vince who came to Harley with that, or one of his minions. Um, because I don't think Harley Race was the type to come in and be like, I need to be the king, or I need yeah. to win the Royal Rumble. You know, it's like Harley Race is telling that he didn't even want to still be wrestling at this point. Like he had actually retired. And pretty much let himself get totally out of wrestling shape. Um, I think he was running like the St. Louis Territory or something. But of course he picked the worst time to do it. Because territories all got stomped into oblivion uh, mm -hmm. right at that time. Um, so, you know, he came back. He got back into shape. And yeah, he still had some good stuff left in him. But it's just amazing. It's like, here's a guy who probably, all things being equal, wouldn't even be here if he had his way. And he's still doing such a great job. <laughs> Yeah, I agree. I don't think he could do anything else. Yeah. This is another one uh, in this one where, let's see, we're going to get, this is a Jesse Ventura quote. Um, this ought to be Duggan's style of a match. He can't wrestle, but he can fight. <laughs> uh, Ventura, as always, with a lot of great lines. The, the Vince Ventura commentary team uh, continues to prove itself as just being very entertaining because of their weird dynamic. Um, there's one point in this match where Nikolai Volkov and Don Morocco, like, they have a mix-up. They try to enter at the same time. This big man's on commentary. He's like, Nikolai, he's as dumb as a stump. And Ventura is like, can I ask you to remain just a tiny bit unbiased? <laughs> like, yeah. this, Vince's job on paper is to, like, call the action uh, <laughs> even-handedly. 
but he doesn't even try. He doesn't pretend. Imagine just being out there and insulting the intelligence. Uh, yeah. Imagine in any other, like in a football game, you're like, yeah. that quarterback is the dumbest guy I ever saw. Like, it could never stand, but it's so funny. Vince McMahon, he'll do it anyway. That's what works in this era, though, is that Jesse Ventura can call him out, and yet he will sit with pride as an unbiased announcer who is doing just what you said he's supposed to be doing, <laughs> like, even in the face of that. He is uh, narrative proof. Like, he, yeah. you cannot question what he has in his mind. <laughs> I really think this is an era that if you have enough strength of mind, whether you're a wrestler, face or heel, or you're a fan of faces or heels, you can have a narrative that can be true and invincible to you, and you can get away with it. Let me ask you this. If you were Vince McMahon and you overcame all this stuff in your life, overcame like dyslexia and poverty as a child... And now you not only own this wrestling company, but you had transformed the industry already and drawn, not really, but supposedly like 100,000 people to one of your shows. Would you sit there and listen to Jesse Ventura tell you what's what? I don't think you would because you already like changed the world 20 times over in your own life. So, of course, you're not going to be shaken just by a guy in a feather boa trying to tell you what's what. That's a hell of a good point. Man. Yeah. And that's all he's got to do is stand up and be like, um, am I right or is Jesse right? And everybody's going to let him know he's right. Yes. Yes. He's he's the cult leader of this uh, babyface privilege brigade and nobody can stop him. So, my God. Yes. Oh, man, that, that is so true. And it is it's so fun to watch this play out. I don't know, and how many of these people, it's weird because Vince McMahon is in the announce booth, like, shaping the product in real time, Mm. whereas there's so many people who will get fame, not as an owner, but as a booker or creative, that is almost like, now I get to be a celebrity, I get to party, I get to enjoy myself, I get to have a name. Mm. And so whether you like some of the things Vince does or don't like some of it, at least with it being his business, it was still about the business. Yeah. Yeah, true. Like he could have been off doing all kinds of things. Right. It's funny. For all that we talk about, Vince McMahon like, doesn't really want to be in the wrestling business. And, you know, there's enough evidence to kind of support that. Still, you compare Vince McMahon and, like, Eric Bischoff, for example, yeah. and the way that they, like, use celebrities. Vince McMahon will bring in celebrities like there's no tomorrow if he gets the chance, but you never really see him like standing with those celebrities or trying to like be their friends or anything. They're like aliens to him that he brings in and like they're part of the draw, but he does he really care that they're celebrities? I don't know. And then you got Bischoff who's just trying to like glad hand and be around these people all the time and just like bask in the light of other stars. Um and I'm not even, like, an anti-Bischoff guy, but just, like, the difference, I think, is very striking. Yeah, it's very real. And that, it makes me think, too, that almost the sweet spot for WWF and Vince McMahon is this fine line that rarely ever exists in the universe where you are both small business owner, family-run small business owner, and the king of everything around you. <laughs> it's a very weird life. I think that Vince McMahon has. You can't 
you, you can't blame him for some things, but like for having a warped perspective on the world, I don't think you can. Cause I don't yeah. know if anybody ever had a life like Vince McMahon. Yeah. And as part of it's, it's part of the ugliness and it's part of the beauty because there is something about this era that really, I don't know if it's a respecter of all persons or a disrespecter of all persons, mm. but every performer has a right to walk around with worldviews that make no sense and they all get to exist with an equal amount of credibility when they're on camera. And there's something about, about a Vince McMahon world that just seems to make that uh, able to be so. Mm. Absolutely so. Uh, transitioning in back to the match. We keep going to Vince. I don't know why, but uh, it's just when he's on commentary. Uh, he brings up all this weird stuff that we want to talk about. But yeah. um, here's another thing I like about the Royal Rumble that you don't necessarily get in any other kind of match. I have a note. I don't remember exactly when I made it, but I was just looking in the ring, and I noted I love all the colors. And yeah. it's the great thing about the Royal Rumble is when the ring fills up, you've got all these colorful characters, personas, and it's like, like, where's Waldo or something? Like, you could look at any corner of the ring, and you could see something a little different, and you could see something interesting happen, and there's no other match quite like that. So I, I like Battle Royals as a rule, and Royal Rumble is, like, even more so. That is a great point. It really... WF at his best times. I remember, maybe it's 92, maybe it's a different year, but like early I see Shawn Michaels where his white tights are very white and the red hearts are very red and the black mm-hmm. gloves are very black. Yeah. You know, he's out there with Ric Flair. Like, you know, even at that time, it's like, oh, my God, Ric Flair, Shawn Michaels, like weird combinations of wrestlers. And then you get to see every outfit in the WWF, every color in the gimmick. Like you said, filling the ring. It is something to behold. You're yeah. awash with colors and gimmicks and fillings and styles in a promotion that above all probably at its best has created, you know, characters to be on display. And this is the stage to do it. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's a great stage for that. Um, We do get down to our final four, and I think you had some comments to make about that. But uh, it's Don Morocco, Dino Bravo, here again. Uh, One Man Gang, and Jim Duggan, Cy. Uh, And I, I was really thinking at this point, man, it would be so nice if Don Morocco would win this Royal Rumble because there's not enough Don Morocco in the Legacy Series, and he's really great. He's a former Intercontinental Champion. I know they won't let him win anyway because he's kind of, like, on his way out. But I love Don Morocco, and even though I knew it was going to happen, I was really pulling for him in this Final Four here. Yeah, absolutely. This is a real-time moment where I forgot who is in the ring and who's going to win it. This is what really happened. So we go down to the Final Four. And Vincent Man's gonna make a. We're down to the final four. The NC blah 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 has to offer. Like I think it's a college basketball maybe reference. I don't sure. know, but sounds right. 19, 1994, I think. So I've always, ever since that, I've always really paid attention to the final four. So we're down to four, and I thought, man, the one man gang should win this. Like he's the biggest sure. guy, and it'd be such a uh, way to evolve his career. And then I was like, well, you know what, Don Morocco could win it too because he'd won it in house shows. So you know why not have him win it. And I was like, oh, well, Dina Bravo could win it because, you know, he had that controversial bench press and maybe they're trying to push him. And so, and then I was, that's, a, and that's as far as my thoughts went, like, oh, <laughs> any of these three guys could win. I couldn't even remember who the fourth guy was. Ugh. Jim Duggan, he's just, um, he just annoys me. He's just an irritating guy to me. 
And uh, we've had people even come on the show before, like Steve, to defend Jim Duggan. Man, if you like Jim Duggan, cool. Your life uh, is probably good, actually, because Jim Duggan gets a lot of success. He gets to do a lot of things. But, man, I just can't with this guy. Like, all the weird faces and yelling ho and the nonsensical chants and he's always, like, cheating. And um, there's just nothing about the guy. As a, as, a, as a character, as a wrestler, I just don't enjoy the guy. I just have nothing that I get out of him. Ten, ten out of ten times, if I tell you, you should watch this guy at a different time because they have more agility and spring in their step. <laughs> Would you not take that as a, oh, they probably were better or different or worth watching in that era? Sure. Well, this is an era where Hacksaw Jim Duggan has this little leaping thing that he does that he won't have later in his career, and I think it just makes him worse and me dislike him more because it <laughs> leaps into nothing. It adds nothing. It does nothing. It's a sorry little leap, a hop, and it makes no sense, and he makes no sense. And the only thing I would argue with Jesse Ventura, I agree with you, he can't wrestle, but I also don't think he's a very good fighter either. Not really. He's got kind of big hands, and he throws them around, and I guess that's fine for what it is. But, yeah, there's no uh, – there's just nothing about it that appeals to me. I don't know. Have you ever seen the independent show where he gets into a shoot fight in the middle of his match with Matt Bourne? Oh, my God, no. How does that go? That fucking irritated me because <laughs> he won't sell for Matt Bourne. That was always the problem with Jim. That's one of the biggest things that annoys me about Duggan. I could probably get on with him being silly. You know, here's, this is a funny thing, because my original experience with Jim Duggan is very different than the way that I have gone later, because Jim Duggan, for a while, do not ask me why, but for a while, in like 2008, 2009, something, was like a regular wrestler for a while again in WWE. I have no idea why, but... I, I did not mind him at that time. I was like, oh, here's this like old weird guy and he's just like silly and he has these nonsense chants and okay, cool. Like I don't really care about him one way or the other. He didn't really annoy me. I think it's because at that point he was so old, he had to fucking sell for people. Like he couldn't just ignore everything that every everyone else was doing around him. But that's what he does in this era. It's like nothing even matters to him. He he gives no acknowledgement to anybody else. He gives no shine to anybody else. Like, I don't know. It's I don't want to say it's selfish. Maybe it is, maybe it's not. But it's very uncooperative, and it's very annoying. And I'm not surprised that he would not sell in a match with Matt Bourne because I've seen him wrestle Mang, and he didn't sell for him either. And he didn't sell for – he wouldn't sell for Hulk Hogan, you know? He wouldn't sell for Vader. He wouldn't sell for anybody. All right, I'm done. I'm going to stop ranting about Jim Duggan yeah. not selling. It just I, – I, I don't know how I came across it, but – Hacksaw will speak about it, I think, after Bourne is dead and can't have a counterpoint. But he claims that Matt Bourne had all his stuff in his car so that Matt Bourne was going to try something in the match. But as far as what you can see with your eyes, they both come out. There's commentary um, on the microphone. And then like Duggan whoops him around and he sells for him. And then he tries a couple of things and Duggan won't sell it. And then he does a, he does a low blow to Duggan and Duggan doesn't sell that. So then all of a sudden, Jeez. I think... Uh, it gets real, and Duggan, one of them, maybe Duggan puts him in a sleeper or tries to choke him out or the other way, and he flips him out of it, and then they're just standing outside the ring daring each other to come at each other, and then they just walk away, and the match never has an ending. Jeez. 
that's really pathetic and very yeah. sad um, for everybody involved. Like that's that's one of the most pathetic things that can happen at a wrestling show. So uh, I'm sure Matt, I, I don't doubt Matt Bourne was like a weird and kind of troubled guy. So I don't yes. doubt there could have been some issue on his side as well. But like for Jim Duggan not to sell a low blow, that's like the least surprising thing I ever heard yeah. of. So yeah. Yeah, I agree with that. I can see all the reasons listed, but all you can see with your eyes, you know, is what happens. And one of them sells for the other, the other one doesn't. And it's just, it's almost the gimmick that enabled it. Mm. Who made the decision in 1988 that this guy should just be able to, like, toss everybody around and win rumbles and do all the things that he does? There's so many people that get gassed up out of the 80s for the rest of their lives to think that they're something that they're not. And the king of those... I don't know why this was called the Royal Rumble when, it, when you don't get a title shot and the hack winner is Hacksaw Jim Duggan. <laughs> but uh, it will evolve into a Royal Rumble. But right now it's just a rumble. And Hacksaw is rumbling with his little stumps and his two by four. And he's one of the least worthy to win it. But by God, congratulations to him. I that's guess. Him. The th- with Jim Duggan, it's like... Why would you even have a match with Jim Duggan? Because he would just do the same thing whether you were in the ring or not. You know, (laughs) nothing you do makes any impact on this guy. It will not change the match one bit. You could just let him just like stomp around and flail around and it would just be exactly the same experience. Whether you were actually physically there as his opponent or if you just went home to your couch and he would just do the same thing anyway. That is the best commentary that we're ever going to have on Jim Duggan. Like, (laughs) Why not just have him as a non-televised intermission where he stomps and waves the flag and the two-by-four and makes sounds and you make sounds? Because that's the same thing as having a match. And, you know, yeah, there there you go. Yeah. Someday maybe I'll watch the uh, uh, apocryphal Mid-South wrestling, Jim Duggan, who supposedly is a lot better. But, yeah, I've never come across a Jim Duggan that I liked, so here we are. That's none of our business at this none time. None of our we? business. You got it. <laughs> yeah. uh, all just... right, so first Royal Rumble. I, it's a very fun Rumble, kind of up until the last part, which was not that exciting to me, and that's just because I don't like Jim Duggan. But clearly the concept works, and we're going to see a lot better versions uh, coming along here soon. Yeah, really good Royal Rumble. A lot better than I even imagined it would be. Hmm. Uh, Bam Bam would have been, even as someone who we're not really that into, but push-wise, yeah. that would have made sense. Bam Bam eliminating one-man gang to win it would have been a continuation of Survivor Series. Yeah, that would have been good. Or even, we talked about Randy Savage, this would have been a great way, you know. He's, he's going to go on to WrestleMania. I guess maybe he was hot enough already. It's clear they didn't know exactly what they wanted to get out of the winner of the Royal Rumble at this point. Yeah. Um, so I guess that kind of factors into it. But still, yeah, I don't know. A lot of better guys that they could have maybe put in this slot. Yeah, for a while. Let Andre win it, you know? I guess they didn't want Andre to have to do too much because he was probably in pain. But still, he could have come in last and just thrown everyone out. I would have been happy. I don't know. Yeah. I was in pain with Hacksaw. They didn't care about that. (laughs) Right. Andre, you got (laughs) to step step in front of that bullet for me. You know, Andre Andre will have his own problems with Jim Duggan soon enough, and that will be something else entirely. Sense. Well, Hacksaw, luckily the Royal Rumble does not predict the WrestleMania winner at the oh beginning. Oh, my God. Can you imagine? <laughs> that was an idea, though, for the next Hulk Hogan, so why not plug him in if he's really got what it takes? I get, like, uh, 
yeah, let's leave that um, unrealized future where it belongs. <laughs> yes. So Hacksaw wins this. That to me, that's not the storyline. The storyline is that this is a successful concept that will only grow and evolve as it continues on. Absolutely. So, uh, fortunately, we don't need an ex-Hulk Hogan because we've got Hulk Hogan. He's here to do an interview with Craig DeGeorge. Um, and uh, I got a shout out. I don't know if it's the first time we've seen it. It's the first time I remember to mention it. But the little platform they have that's yes. set up like in the middle of the crowd almost. I love that little space for interviews. We're going to have that for a while. And I really, I really like that space. So I just got to shout that out for a second. Yes, I don't know if we mentioned that in the original early airings or not, but that deserves it. Those little spaces make such a difference. Mm. You know, it's distinct. It's not the same without Mean Gene on it. And this, yeah. I think the, even the promos, it's the same thing with Bobby Heenan not being there. It's not even a knock on whoever is there, but it's just an allowance that that person is not there. And I can I can see their absence and I can feel their absence when they're not there. I will not Craig to George a little bit. I think yeah. he's a, a, I don't think he's that great at what he does. Um, but yeah, nobody's Gene Okerlund. And yeah, you're right, not on this show either. So, so another weird absence on this show. Um, it's a I, weird thing. Mm-hmm. Hulk Hogan kind of makes his point, like you know, it's a um, you got to beat all the Hulkamaniacs. It's a dagger, and then the, he has to do it a second time, and then the promo ends. So. <laughs> Okerlund never would have let that happen. Yes, so. exactly. That's, that's the point. <laughs> Okerlund, yeah, he had the, he knew the flow. He knew it's the things that you don't notice until they're not there, you yeah. know. So, um, but yes, Hogan does a promo. He's fired up, talking about the time he pressed Andre over his head, which is a thing that never happened. But you can just tell <laughs> lies if you're a babyface, and no one will challenge uh-huh. you. Uh, he says no Hulkamaniacs would ever sell out to Ted DiBiase, and Andre couldn't break any Hulkamaniacs either. He, he challenges Andre to fight all of the Hulkamaniacs. So Hogan introducing his human shield strategy here that he mm. will later take to uh, ridiculous heights. So, And he's also like, oh, yeah, Andre, he did, he did a cheap shot and he choked me. And I'm like, at Survivor Series, the second the match was over, you ran in with a title belt and hit Andre in the back <laughs> of the head. So let's not talk about cheap shots, shall we? Oh, my God. As you say it, though, now I'm thinking how much of that promo, whether you want to call it lies, how much of it is almost lying to yourself to try to (laughs) rebuild a confidence that you've lost? Yeah, there you go. You just got uh, embarrassed, you know. Vince even said he was humiliated at one point. So you got to come out and you got to talk big. But you weren't talking big when Andre was in the ring. So there you go. I got zero impressions in the entirety of this episode that Hulk Hogan wants this February 5th matchup. Sure, sure. I don't know what to make of that, but it's the things that are either allowed or just not recognized in this era that make all the difference that later on. And I wonder if it's just like, because Hulk Hogan's so popular and, you know, when you're so strong, you can be weak. But like in WCW, when he's so weak, he has to be strong. Yeah. And this is this is peak Hogan. This is this is not only peak Hulk Hogan. It's everything that later on he will not be. Mm. Yep, yep. You'll never see an ounce of vulnerability from Hulk Hogan after a certain point. Um, so we're glad to have it now because it adds a lot to the character. And then we move into like a twenty-plus minute matchup, I think, between the Islanders and the Young Stallions, where they stop <laughs> it in the middle for a promo. 
<laughs> yeah, that was a bit strange. I don't know what the purpose of structuring it in that way was. Um, for the sake of continuity, uh, we can talk about the promo first. Um, it's basically the heel version of the Hogan thing that we just saw. It's uh, DiBiase and Andre, and they're on the, the platform as well. Um, Ted DiBiase promises we're going to see Hulk Hogan on his back again, and this time he won't be pinned by a wooden table. He'll be pinned by Andre the Giant. Uh, Andre acts very confident as well, and Ventura praises him for it. He says, I don't think any force in the universe can stop Andre. Yeah, and DiBiase pretty much says, all we did tonight was a paint a picture of what is to come. So, on, again, the heels, uh, the difference in this era is we can be just as prophetic as you can be. Mm-hmm. So everybody's yeah. speaking their prophecies, and then all that's left is to manifest it into real time. So we will see uh, who wins that battle uh, coming up shortly. Indeed. And uh, as you mentioned, DiBiase is no Heenan, but who is? Uh, he's very good in his own right. And, uh, I'm excited to see him step out a little more on his own because right now he's kind of the driving force but he's also like part of the crowd in this heel faction so we'll see more individually out of dibiase as we go yeah i've been saving up for weeks now and i'm waiting to wrestlemania for to really just unload on the beautiful and brave booking <laughs> that shoots Randy Savage and DiBiase to the forefront of that show. Absolutely. It's going to be some very good stuff. Um, our quote-unquote main event, which is more of a main event in the Saturday Night's main event style, yes. where probably some people went to bed already, um, is the Islanders taking on the Young Stallions uh, in another two-out-of-three ma- falls match. I don't know why there are so many two-out-of-three falls tag team matches in this era, but I don't mind because it's a match type that I enjoy. Um, I'm getting the impression you probably didn't think too much of this match one way or the other. I I liked it pretty well. It's got the Islanders, which is very good. It's got some uh, actual storytelling. It's a lot of it uh, based around Paul Roma uh, injuring his leg, and there's a big sell job, and uh, it really dictates the story of the match. I think there's some good stuff in here. I'm not going to speak one way. I fell asleep watching it while I was watching it. (laughs) And it's not the commentary on the match because I love the Islanders. Um... But I just, I was looking at the screen, but I couldn't really see anything because it was all last night and I was, you know, it was pushing against the clock. There's, um, it's, uh, from time to time I watch wrestling with my brother. We kind of have a running joke of when there are like wrestlers in the ring who are good wrestlers and they might even be having a good match, but there's just kind of no reason to really care that that match is happening. Um, and that's sort of the case here because I think they do have a pretty good match. But unless you are, like, really invested in watching the show from start to finish, like, it's not a match with any importance, really. The Islanders, they're going to beat um, the Young Stallions in two straight falls, and they're going to do a good job of it, and it's not going to, like, increase their tag title uh, ranking, and it's not really going to have any impact on anything that happens afterwards. And you're following the first ever Royal Rumble and the, the march to Hogan and Andre. Right. Yeah, exactly. So it's really only going to go so far. Um, so uh, it is what it is. There is some interesting stuff we get on commentary. They kind of tell the story of uh, Bobby Heenan kidnapping Matilda, the British Bulldog's dog. He and the Islanders, uh, we grab that dog and run out of the arena and it would be missing for weeks. And they would gloat about it until Jack Tiny said, well, until the dog comes back. The Islanders are suspended, and then it's a whole drama where Heenan is, like, backpedaling, and he has to 
give the dog back, and uh, we'll see the outcome of that at WrestleMania 4, but that uh, story is told while we're preparing for this match. Yeah, I heard, I think the last thing I heard was that beginning. I was like, why are they talking about Matilda? And then <laughs> I woke up and the show was over. Fair so. enough. Uh, a few points then that you may have missed. Uh, Vince declares in this match that Tama has a devastating leap. Huh. And okay. I don't know what that means, but I think it means he's a better wrestler than Sting because his leap was not devastating. So He would have got to push over Luger, I'm sure. There you go. <laughs> Oh, poor, we're going to have, um, I can feel the wound of Lex Luger and WWF being ripped open like every week. And we, we don't even mean to talk about it, but I'm very sorry that it keeps coming up uh, and wounding you, sir. Let's go. It's going to happen again and again. And I will actually invite it for the, you know, for the entertainment of the world, because that's what we have to do. It's the, it's the reality. Uh, Luger is brought up, I think, by Benjamin Button in the LOP forums and... I also realized that it was Jim Cornette, not Mr. Fuji, who screwed Lex Luger, but I didn't have the heart to bring it up because when we were talking about it as Fuji, it was a fiction and it, it was a shield to keep me from the reality. <laughs> when you talk about it as Jim Cornette, now we're talking about what I experienced. And so when we get there, we will watch the contract signing on Raw where uh, Jim Cornette drops that bomb. <sighs> okay, all right. We're going to get to all that when we get to it. Uh, and try to make it not too painful for all involved. Um, let me see what else in this match. Uh, Vince McMahon at one point wishes for Jesse Ventura to be uh, dragged behind a race car. What? And <laughs> Ventura has a great comeback. He says, stop with your violent adjectives, McMahon. Nice. Yeah, that's a great way to respond to someone wishing that you would die. Um, it's also a way to like garner even less respect, I think, from Vince McMahon. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, absolutely so. Um, so yeah, as you might expect, Haku I think is the uh, big star of this match, um, and he's great as always. And again, he's he's doing things that Meng wouldn't do. Like he does a, a somersault senton in this match that I don't think Meng physically would have been capable of. Um, which is nothing against Meng. It's just another way to highlight that these two people are not the same person. Obviously. Um, and the Islanders do win with two straight falls because Paul Roma tags in even though his leg is, like, destroyed. And you know what? I actually like that it's two straight falls, even though it's a competitive match. I like the fact that uh, Paul Roma, he has a leg injury. He comes in. Haku does a leg submission, and he taps out. Um, I feel like in, in a modern match, and this is not towards WWE or any particular promotion because they all do this now, Paul Roma would have, like, magically been able to withstand the pain and make it to the ropes, and then they would have done, like, some other ten things. So, God bless uh, an injury angle that is actually paid off, because when you pay it off most of the time, you get the credibility to uh, kind of push beyond it on the rare occasion when you need to. So that's just my statement about that. Oh, yeah, and I would also say that when you're when you're mostly there for cosmetic reasons, you're probably more likely to give up in the submission hold. <laughs> Uh, fair enough. I kind of like the young stallions, yeah, but no, yeah, they're never really going to go anywhere. So, um, so it is. And what you can it is. be talented. That's the weird thing about it. Like, yeah, whether you're talented or not has nothing to do with what perhaps the intentions of the the men who hired you might be. Right. So I'm not necessarily taking away from them. Fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah, they will never make it that far. Um, but uh, yeah, that pretty much wraps up the show, Vince. 
gives Ventura more crap about the Bravo lifting segment as we uh, go go away. And uh, I just say again, Vince McMahon, this was you, you, it was your idea, you know. So you're out here just like shitting on your own segment, and we all know it now in 2020. So you can't hide from us. And yet, it's better that like at least you do shit on your shitty product, right? Instead of just pretending like it it, it can't be bad. <laughs> Indeed so. Uh, clearly my dog thinks that we should be done, so I don't yes. think we have anything else that we want to go over. Uh, are you good to go? Yeah, it's just a joy to do this. We have now initiated three out of the four uh, big four pay-per-views that we are on our way. Yes, yes. SummerSlam 1988, the last one, and uh, in some ways the biggest one. It's going to be treated as a very big deal. We are going to see Hogan and Savage against Andre and Ted coming up, so you can see Look how many seeds for that have already been planted. I love yes. that. I, there, there's going to be a period where SummerSlam hosts like these main event tag team matches, and they feel very special in their time, even though now they're so common that probably no one would even think twice about them. But still, it's going to be a lot of good stuff to talk about. Absolutely. All right. Thanks for listening. I am on Twitter. Shout me out anytime. I'm at SpectralGent. Give me a shout. Give me a follow. Uh, check out... LOPforums.com, and please, if you're having trouble getting in, make sure you type www.LOPforums.com, or you can go to our main page, WrestlingHeadlines.com, get to the forums that way. A lot of great conversation, particularly around the Legacy Series. I want to thank BK, Prof, and Benjamin Button for keeping a wonderful conversation going about what we're talking about. You guys are awesome, and we love you. Uh, also, check out the other great programs on LOP Radio. Got a lot of great ones on our channel. And I think that is everything. So we'll be back next time with the main event, February 5. I will be two days old when wow. this event occurs. I know, it's amazing. We're going to see Randy Savage. We're going to see Strike Force. We're going to see Andre and Hogan. We're going to see a lot of good stuff. And special bonus match I already planned out. I'm going to leave that to be a surprise for next week. So that is what we've got. Until then... Mystic, take us home. Until next time, two-day-old Miz fan, don't let the legacy be dictated to you. Rewatch, revisit, rewrite. I saw an undiscovered creature Climbing on the mountainside that no one else believed me How about that? With green eyes and white stripes and salted tears I knew that these were just its cautionary features Keep telling myself nothing to fear It's just an undiscovered creature Coming up to meet ya He's the one that's scared It's just an undiscovered creature Coming up to meet ya He's the one that's scared The undiscovered creature The undiscovered creature I never saw this one in books or heard a myth of it Looks like it came from underwater I thought I'd seen every life form But there it is An undiscovered creature 
running up to meet ya He's the one that's scared It's just an undiscovered creature Coming up to meet ya He's the one that's scared The undiscovered Stripes and salted tears I knew that these were just its cautionary features Keep telling myself nothing to fear It's just an undiscovered creature Coming up to meet ya He's the one that's scared It's just an undiscovered creature Coming up to meet ya He's the one that's scared Undiscovered creature